0: You know I have a book. If you don't have it by now, I actually kind of hate you a little bit. You know I have tour dates. Go to BertBertBert.com, and you can find all my information today's podcast. One of my favorite documentary filmmakers ever, and my doc is coming out soon, from Cocaine Cowboys and the U, Billy Corbin. This is my oh, Yeah, it's not a bad setup. Not a bad setup to uh, travel with. The handy recorder. Yeah, what do you use? That sounds like like some my first Sony shit, well, a handy recorder. The 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 do, the documentary kind, of, kind documentaries kind of are. I would say I would say. Do you have a sound man? Yeah, we do. Um, on, on most shows, sometimes like when we're doing like some verite stuff
1: or running gun. Try uh, yeah, to, we, you're, you're doing yeah. perfect. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. When okay. we do like verite stuff or running guns, sometimes we'll just plug and play, like do it on our own. But whenever possible, we try to do.
0: We try to get a sound, a, a professional sound mixer. On set on site um. It helps so much man Sound (laughs) really can change The entire energy of a show And it pulls me out Like I remember one time Looking at a cut of something And someone was like It hasn't been mixed yet and I was like, I don't know what that means, but it doesn't matter. And I was like, it sucks. And they're like, well, it's just because it hasn't been mixed.
1: <laughs> no, I, I, I listen. I wanted to make Cocaine Cowboys a silent movie, but I didn't think that would uh, <laughs> that would be nearly as informative and entertaining God. as it as it was. So p- sound is pretty important in our when you're interviewing people. That would be like a silent podcast. That would be like, oh, fuck it. We don't need. We we'll let the audio slide yeah. on this podcast. Should have been there. Yeah, but that, that's the crazy thing too. Is when you're when you're screening rough cuts for people, like it's got to be like trying out material. It's got to be like the most stressful thing in the world like cause, because yeah. when we were and you say listen it's a rough cut the sound hasn't been mixed yet You tell, and it doesn't matter invariably people will watch and go well the sound is bad and like all the shit that you know that you don't need help on and they're not able to focus on the shit that you do need help on Yeah, and it, there's just no it, it's, it's difficult and I hate showing people or screening rough cuts and we've done that a couple times at like film festivals where they call them works in progress screenings that is the most that is the most stressful experience ever so
0: wait let's uh, only, only because I'm, I'm afraid there's someone that is listening and doesn't know who I'm talking to. I'm certain that there will be. No, I don't know, man. I think you're more famous than I am. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I think you're. Sorry. I'm not on the I'm, travel I'm, you channel. Know what? I can't. I can't stop. This is the only question I want to ask you that I can't. That I. That I will back off from only because it's so out of bad taste. I can't stop wondering how much money you have. Because I go. Does, do you make a lot of money doing documentaries?
1: By the way, it's it's a great question. I'm glad you asked it because there is there is a common misconception that we are rich and famous and in the movie business. We are not we are not and we are not. We really? make we make documentaries. I mean, would you ask a journalist who writes for Rolling Stone, "Oh my god, are you rich?" But you, but you wouldn't you assume that. Like, you
0: seem like oh, I'm I'm sitting with <laughs> Billy Corbin. Billy uh is is, is I I'm going to say arguably my f- And, and, and not because you're sitting in the room, but honestly, my favorite, and not only mine, probably Rogan's, probably a number of dudes' favorite documentary filmmaker. No questions asked. You are definitely Tom Segura's favorite documentary filmmaker. You are Joey Diaz's. You are everyone's. Like, you made, you made the you. And the, and look, I hate fucking Miami. (laughs)
1: I Go hate Canes, but the <laughs> U is. I love. I love. By the way, that we're like here in seminal Country. Yeah, it's kind of appropriate. Yeah, I think. exactly. <laughs> it's like I, I, every time I call, all I hear in my head is. Oh, and
0: I'm like, oh, <laughs> hey, did you see the oh fuck? I don't have it anymore. Fuck. Um, I did. Uh, never mind. I'll show you later. Anyway, uh, and
1: you were there in the 90s, so you were there in like the hey. The, well, actually, it wasn't the heyday of the rivalry because you were whooping the Canes like. No, oh, no, no. no we lost day.
0: my freshman year. We lost to the Canes. Uh, and that was the year that Warren Sapp well, that was ran because out because you were there for like 11 years I was, but there, that's yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was there during the rivalry and then not during the rivalry I was there during wide right and wide left <laughs> and all of them in between <laughs> I was there when the Canes ran out after they won and dug their hands into the center of the Seminole in the, in the middle oh, of the carved. field and, dar- and dug a piece of turf out for yeah. memory like I talked to Warren Sapp about that Warren Sapp who by the way was not in your film <laughs> And he talked about you. He, well, I, I did a episode of Birth, Conquer with him, and he talked about me. You. He was like, "Yeah, they weren't going to pay me," and I was like, "Yeah, I was like I would have done it anyway." But
1: I, well, now I, I, there might might be a bit of, um, well, I mean, regret. I think because now the guys who are in it, I think their profile has been considerably raised. Yeah, and you, you can't pay people for interviews like that. You just can't do it. Yeah, you know. I mean, when you're especially when you're interviewing that many people. I mean, and that that the the, the first you we were covering four national championships. So that's a lot of players, God a lot of teams, a lot of and that was that was with three different head coaches too. We didn't even get to 2001 which is what the sequel is, is about that we're shooting now. You're doing the sequel. We right just now? started shooting it. Yeah, Sports Illustrated broke it so I can talk about it a little bit.
0: Damn it, man. The U2, I guess. I wish you were a fan of the Seminoles. By
1: the way, for yeah, for, the, for those of you keeping score at home, a 30 for 30 score, the Gators 0, FSU 0. Miami too. Did you go to so the University right. of
0: Miami? I did. I graduated from the University what, of Miami. I, by the way, and I'll, I'll say this: what a great! It is a great fucking school. Like it's a beautiful campus. I lo- I liked it. I did a stand up there with Al Jackson. We did a uh, stand up there, and I really enjoyed it. And I I didn't expect to like it at all. The
1: campus is. Lo- I mean, it gives you the the best of both worlds. You're in the midst of, of course, this metropolis, but then you also have this this kind of. Well, it, it, it was a peaceful paradise until two football players raped a 17 year old this week uh, Are you on serious? campus, Pearson uh, dormitory. Yeah. And um, and they've been, but un- unlike FSU, they've been arrested and removed from the team. Can I just say, <laughs> yeah. all right? Action was swift. Swift action was taken uh, as <laughs> as due process takes its course. But um, you know, you really do. It's a lovely little campus in the middle of Coral Gables. And then the second you're outside, you're in the Grove. You're yeah. in downtown. You're in you're in, you're in Brickell. But honestly, the value of education there when I attended was not good. It really? was like a it was like a it was a uh, Kmart quality education at Neiman Marcus prices in those days back in the late 90s early early zeros when I was to be to be honest I mean now I think the quality of education as the quality of football declines the quality of academics increases I think that and you always see that with the 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 rankings of party schools right it's like the the better the football team is doing the higher you invariably rank on the party school
0: charts okay I don't know where to start with you because you have so much you've done so much shit I like so I will talk, oh, talk! Right, no, we should do this all the time. I this know. is so nice. I hope I, my mom hears this, I, dude. <laughs> you are, and i and I'm, and I'm, and, and I'm. I remember me and I want to say me and Brad Ernst met you together at Paul and Young Ron. Yes, and absolutely. we lost our shit. Dude, we lost our shit,
1: dude. First of all, that was I walked in. I think I came in at eight o'clock in the morning. You guys had been there for like the long haul. I think we you were, were like,
0: drinking.
1: You. Drinking would be a conservative description <laughs> of what was... Because when I came in, there were like beer bottles on... It uh, kind of yeah. looks like your hotel... It looked like... You know, like your hotel room looks now. It looked like that. Yeah, But beer bottles everywhere yeah Every, empty beer bottles on the ground half uh, drank beer bottles on on the counter like top of the the radio studio and i don't even drink beer but i felt like the pure pressure i was like <laughs> i got to drink a bit you hand, someone hand, you, you, someone handed me a beer and i just sat down and we were like on the and it just got completely out of hand it was i've been on that show quite a bit it's the most fun i ever ever
0: had on that show oh we i, I remember we lost our minds i i <laughs> just seen you i could tell you the seat i was sitting in there's that that, then that by the way that that's got to be fascinating to hear someone i remember the seat i was sitting in when i saw the i said i 30 for 30 was nothing when for the, those of you listening i don't if you don't know what 30 for 30 is like a lot of people don't and oddly enough it's my favorite program but it was nothing and the you is the first one it was a documentary that you did and I, I wanna say you started for thirty for thirty, kind of. But we let did. me It was the first one it.
1: anybody noticed, to be honest. I mean, to be candid. It wasn't it. The it first was like one? the fifth or sixth one. Oh really but nobody had seen like the previous five. And there were great ones. Barry Levinson did one, uh Peter Berg did one. There was some great but really, no, it was because we had that great time slot after the Heisman
0: in, really? in December of nine And you you went about it like you were making a movie for your friends. Like <laughs> that fucking when you that fucking opening that uh, the you that it's uncle got luke, yeah, uncle, it's uncle luke cut in with that opening of highlights was ma- i mean i remember changing my footing position i was on a seat and i literally sat on my feet like a child and i was like oh shit i'm about to watch something awesome <laughs> it was fucking great and then and then and then i'm and then i'm sitting in a fucking hotel room cut to like a year later two years later i'm i'm sitting in a hotel room And I'm looking for something to watch, and I see Cocaine Cowboys. And I go, oh, I'd be into that. Like, no, in my head. (laughs) I don't even know what it is. And then I'm like, oh, wait. Oh, shit, that's Billy. And I was like, fuck. And then I watched that. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Then you do uh, the one about all the players losing their money, which was Broke. broke, which was I mean, fascinating. It was. It's. It's like subject matters that are right in my wheelhouse. I thought, I want to say I saw you do something recently that I was like fucking lit up. What was? What else? Well, tell everyone. Dude, again. I want to. I want to. I want to
1: quit while I'm ahead. I'm going to drop Mike right uh, now. Are you kidding? This is great. My agent here. Oh. <laughs> My, P- my PR man. This That's is great. Um, well, we just did the Tanning of America, One Nation Under Hip Hop, which was a four-hour doc series for VH1's Rock Doc series. They've done this great Rock Doc series for like 12, 13 years, and it's over now. We, we turned out to be – we didn't know this at the time, but February was like the swan song, I think, for the Rock oh, Docs. Really? Yeah, everybody's gone from that division, unfortunately. But we spent a lot of time and effort and trouble. We interviewed – oh, it's this great theory. Here's a theory. Um, Steve Stout, this guy who who ran the urban music division of Interscope, he wrote a book called The Tanning of America, and the theory is that the generation of Americans who grew up immersed in hip-hop culture, which is like the predominant American – what was American culture from the 80s to the early zeros? It was hip-hop. So whether it was fashion or whatever it was, um, fashion, music, movies, it was all hip-hop influence. So he said that those of us who grew up in that generation, it tanned our mental complexion and led to the election of the first black president. He that, says hip-hop culture did more for, like, civil rights and the relationship between African-Americans and white people than anything since, like, Martin Luther King.
0: I think it, I th- I think it did, and I think it, I think it did, and I think it didn't. I think it did in the sense that I do agree with that, and I do sometimes – it's the same way, and I'm sure you feel this too. You're Jewish, right?
1: Yes. Nobody's perfect. <laughs> and,
0: and, <laughs> but, like, don't, growing up in Miami or growing up in Florida, don't you feel like you have some connection to Cuban culture? Uh, certainly but also with uncle luke growing up with
1: hit, a lot of yeah. hit dirty south stuff i mean yeah. the 808 vibe that whole scene is is of, all miami of based and, and then atlanta and then new orleans and
0: and i think i think i have a connection with black culture be, through the music but i also think that what i have a connection with necessarily isn't black culture but what i have a connection with is hip hop which is somewhat uh braggadocious and violent and i mean uh, the hip hop i listen to isn't necessarily a reflection of black culture and of
1: course your connection to black people via that one year you discovered you were registering classes at fam and you had no idea yeah that was, that, that i used was, to
0: take <laughs> chicks to FAMU all the time i used to work for the <laughs> safe escort so i had to drive people around campus and i remember every time i saw black chicks and they were waiting for the car i was like where are you guys going and they're like just get on Monroe Street, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh fuck!" I was like, "This is going to be a long drive." I'm a Tennessee man myself. The <laughs> yeah. waltz, baby, the yeah. waltz, the Tennessee waltz. So, uh, but that's interesting. So that was the most recent thing you did,
1: and that was the thing that just premiered. And then we we in March, March, we started production on the U sequel, um, which I already like. I'm sort of prepared. I mean, listen. I made Cocaine Cowboys hustle hustling with the Godmother. So, ain't no shame in this game. But I, like, <laughs> saw that, I saw that one
0: as well. <laughs> Did you I really? saw that one as well. Yeah,
1: it's a, that's an interesting, an interesting diversion from the first. But like, um, I, I know this is not going to be as good as the first one, and it's not going to be. A, a, Dan Levitard calls the U sports porn, which I think is a pretty that's accurate yeah. description of that. I'll genre. take that. Uh, that's yeah. actually yeah. This is a little bit of a of a different ride. I mean. It is. It does go to the 2001 team. That's really. It's the same arc as the first movie. You got this down on its luck team in the shitter. In comes this new coach. Rebuilds the thing bigger and better than ever before. Yeah. But that 01 team is not only the greatest college football team of all time, but it might be the greatest NFL team of all time. Who's when you look, dude? <sighs> well, first of all, there's 17 first round draft picks. Um, Jeremy Shockey. Whoa. Uh, Ed Reed. Uh, Philip Buchanan, Mike Rumpf, DJ Williams, on Rolle, roll, Vince
0: Wilfork, Bryant
1: McKinney, uh, I mean... <laughs> do, 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 do,
0: do you have tickets to the games?
1: No, go, not, don't, not, I don't have season tickets because, because, like, that's like a total rip-off, the way, the way they make you make donations, like, you can't just like, I want to support the team, I want to get to... So I'll do it piecemeal, and I'll even yeah. do it StubHub to kind of support the people who bought the tickets that don't want the tickets, like, yeah. I'll do that, I don't mind that second mar- hand market. So,
0: so, um... So... I, it's like I'm such a horrible interview because I, I, all I want to do is celebrate you and all the shit you've done. Well,
1: today's a special day. Today, what? actually, incredibly, is the 35th anniversary of the Dadeland Mall shooting, which you'll remember from the beginning of Cocaine uh, yeah, Cowboys. That's, that's, that was the first public shot in the cocaine war that began, really, in earnest, the, 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 the Cocaine Cowboys era in Miami. So it's 35 years ago today.
0: That is, yeah. and that is, that is the single event that scarred Miami I would say for everyone in Florida I mean anyone from Ocala to Jacksonville to Tampa said I won't be going to Florida I won't (laughs) be going to Miami because of that it
1: it, it, did yeah July 11th uh 1979 right about noontime uh and ordinarily you know we celebrate it with fireworks and parades and things obviously this anniversary yeah just toss them into a mall I don't know if you know this twice a year Every July 4th and every New Year's, this, the mayor of Miami has a press conference and they do a campaign, an ad campaign with Pitbull, Dale, you know, local, uh, uh, well, hip hop royalty, you know, from Miami. And it's a campaign, it's one bullet ruins the party. It's a print campaign. You see it at like Busta. It is a campaign to inform Miamians of basic physics. That what, what goes up yes. must come down. And please do not celebrate these holidays by firing your guns in the air. They have to do this as a uh, campaign, as a PSA.
0: Fucking – they do that in Chicago too. People shoot guns in the air, right. and then people die because the bullet comes down. Some
1: child is asleep in their bed in the ah, middle of the night on New Year's Eve. Insane. Yeah. It's a bienvenido Amiami.
0: Ami. Did, did you? What did you study at University of Miami? Did you know you wanted to do docs?
1: Well, you know, I triple. I was in film because I I got a scholarship. I was a good high school student, so to the credit of the state of Florida, at in those days anyway, I don't know about today. They offered a lot of incentives if you wanted to stay in the state. So I got a lot of money to go to UM, uh, and uh, I triple major in poli sci. Uh, uh, Film writing, screenwriting, yeah. and then theater, um, which I didn't spend a lot of time doing. I was focusing more on poli-sci and, and film. Screenwriting is awesome because like, you learn the rules of storytelling. You know, yeah. We named our company Raconteur, which is a f- the phonetic spelling, R-A-K-O-N-T-U-R, based on a French word, R-A-C-O-N-T-E-U-R, which means one who tells stories with skill. Um, And we just left it at Rack and Tour, and that wasn't like Rack and Tour productions or films or documentary because we didn't know because it was right on the cusp of like the early zeros, So we didn't know where technology was
0: going to take us. You say we. Who who else? My
1: my producing partners and I, guys I've known literally. I mean we've known each other so long our parents used to bathe us together. Really? We were sophomores in high school. It was (laughs) weird. So so no, no, one of the guys, Dave Sipkin, I've known him. Since nursery school, without exaggeration. Um, His wife has a picture of us together at her seventh birthday party. So that's how long I've known Dave. And then Alfred I met in TV production class in middle school. Really? And, and the, the, our teacher in Miami-Dade County Public Schools, Miss Spicer, Sheila Spicer, she handed us a key. That was b- one of my earliest connections to black culture was Miss Spicer invited us to her church in, in, in overta- Liberty City, actually, yeah. one of the black neighborhoods in uh, Miami. Liberty and, City
0: was famous for having a big riot in the late 80s, right?
1: Yeah, well, actually, they were famous for three riots in, three riots. in the 1980s. Yeah, yeah. And, and we kind of touch upon that. Well, in both Cocaine Cowboys and uh, and the U, because like, when you think of inner city riots, you think L.A., you think Watts, you think Detroit. But Miami was really ground zero in the 80s for race riots. In fact, the last one was in 19- January of 89 during the Super Bowl at Joe Robbie Stadium. Remember the 49ers yeah. game? So the world's press was here in Miami, and what Miami year? What was just year? burnt. January of 89. Miami wow. was just on fire.
0: I remember being in buses going to Joe Robbie Stadium, or no, no, no. It, I, I, I I forget. I'm trying to remember the Orange Bowl. Yeah, yeah. Going to the Orange Bowl and being in buses, and everyone being terrified driving <laughs> up through Miami, like they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna roll this bus over. I know what they do. Uh, but it's it's so interesting. So so then you guys, you did your was your first project the U?
1: No, we started this company. Actually, our first company, when we were sophomores in high school, believe it or not. Um, we were too young. We, were, we, were, we weren't 18, so we had to put our dads as like the officers on the subchapter S corporation. Oh, we like shit. incorporated our first company and everything, and, and we ran it, but our, we weren't old enough to yeah. legally run it, so our dads became like the president and treasurer and vice president and secretary, And but Alfred and I started that company, and Dave came in, and we just worked our asses off you, on, on shorts when we were in school, and then when we were in college... The film program is kind of – FSU, by the way, I say this unequivocally, might be the best film school in the country.
0: Uh, I've heard that. i heard that about the theater program as well.
1: It's, the, fi- the film program is unbelievable. It's like really? a film conservatory. The, the equipment, the curriculum, the staff is just really second to none. They don't advertise it as much because it's a state school, yeah. so they can accept a, only a limited number of – Even in state and out of state people, but they don't want to be as famous as like NYU or USC or AFM. So they kind of keep it on the down. But if you are in the know and you're looking for a film school, FSU is virtually second to none. I say that with, you know, without hesitation being a cane. But UM did not have a good film program, especially in those days when I was in school. And so we wanted to take a leave of absence and do our own project uh, because we were still, you know, had our company together in college and we wanted to try something. And we heard about a story out of the University of Florida, the Delta Chi fraternity house in the Spring of 99 They had a Big Brother Little Brother for, uh, Pledge event And they went out Into the Ocala uh, the, the, what the National Forest Out in Ocala yeah, yeah. whatever it's called And they go out there And they do a, a ritual You know with a bonfire Whatever the hell They do And they go back To the house On Frat Row in Gainesville And they have two strippers Come and perform Then one of the strippers Leaves The other one Goes into a private room runs out half-naked the next day to a neighboring to the Theta Chi house claiming she had been raped and it was all caught on videotape. And the videotape winds up, I'm not going to give you all the spoilers, the videotape winds up in the public record and becomes a cause celeb in Gainesville,
0: I think I, I think I saw this. Yeah,
1: the, and we made a documentary about it called "Raw Deal: A Question of Consent." That interviews the woman, interviews one of the three fraternity men that were in the room, and incorporates the actual footage. And here's the interesting thing about it. So we hear about it. So I grew up, you said, I grew up middle class Jewish kid yeah. in North Miami Beach. So I say this by way of uh, of explaining that, like, I grew up with a bunch of guys, you know, like minded guys, came from the, yeah. you know similar backgrounds, similar upbringing, socioeconomic s- uh, status, and everything. So. And a lot of your friends, obviously, they go on to FSU. They go on to UF Florida, which yep. has the unique distinction of having two notorious serial killers at both of our flagship universities in the state. Danny Rollin. I,
0: yeah, I remember when the one was going on at Florida.
1: And Ted Bundy was uh, was at FSU, of yeah. course. Yeah. And then uh, Danny Rowling was a nine. That's right. That's your, yeah. that's your era. Well, that's a well, 90s. was right,
0: right before I went to college. And right. I remember a lot of people that had just left for college, that were like a couple years older than me, all came home. I Petrified. remember, them, oh, I remember yeah. everyone came home and no one did that fall semester because they were like, fuck that, they're <laughs> killing people up there.
1: Yeah, and, and well, Florida was, well, it was always like that, it's, it's a small town. So, yeah. you know, And everybody's a stranger in the fall. You know, everybody, yeah. walks, so your doors are open and people are walking in and out and waving God and introducing damn. themselves. It was a, it was a, it was a horror movie come to life. I, I mean, without saw fail,
0: this but... footage. I want to say I saw your documentary. Really? I want to say I, saw, or I saw this sizzle, on your website. so you probably saw, Yeah, the first yeah. 20
1: minutes on the way. Yeah, so yeah. Well, but here, we hear from this guy. So I hear from a friend. In the spring of 99, they released the footage. It gets released to the public record. What's happening is there is a backlog of requests at the state attorney's office and the clerk of courts. So they cannot keep up with the demand for this videotape. It's like three hours. There was two camera angles. They had, they had, they had, they had gotten coverage. That's, and they were okay.
0: all, it was all of them fucking the stripper.
1: Well, it was the whole night. And then leading up, the last hour plus is in the in the private room in the frat house with yeah. these brothers and with the stripper, and so we get the footage. We got to hold of the footage because what was happening was is that if you were the first person on your block in Gainesville to get the footage, you had a kegger. So that everybody could come and see – because everybody was waiting to see it. So yeah. they'd have parties to watch, as people called it, the rape tape, whatever they, whatever they were calling it. And so I hear from a guy who I grew up with, and he, uh, we're just chatting. how school? What's up? He's like, oh, did you hear about this Delta Kai situation? I said, yeah, with the stripper and the party, and she claimed she was raped. Oh, yeah. Um, I just saw the, uh, the, the footage at a friend's house. Oh, I said, well, how was it? What happened? He's like, I got to tell you, I'm sick to my stomach, what these guys did to this poor woman. Really? He said, they hold her down. She's trying to get away. He said, he said I haven't – he says, I've barely been able to sleep and eat for the last three days since I saw it. It is despicable and harrowing, and I don't know how these guys aren't in, aren't in jail. And a couple days later, another friend, again, similar dude, same neighborhood. We all yeah. grew up together. I said, oh, I heard about the, the Delta Chi footage. He goes, oh, yeah, I just saw This lying slut. What a whore You should see her on the video Sucking these guys Doing all And she cried rape They should put her in prison For trying to ruin these guys' lives Really? So I'm thinking Holy shit Here are Similar Reasonable Educated guys Yeah Who watched the same footage And completely disagreed About whether or not They witnessed a rape Or a consensual sex act God damn! And so right away I was like Well that's a fascinating Subject for a documentary And at the same time This was the digital revolution It's kind of cool That we're doing this on a podcast Because you remember like post blair witch like every schmuck with a video camera yeah. thought they were a filmmaker yeah. and the poor the poor people of sundance the entries shot up All of a sudden di- Quadruple or something Some ridiculous yeah. number and, they, and I'm like Who sits through all this shit You know And like And so I gotta say my, my Bar Mitzvah video Was scarier than the Blair Witch Project For a while For a while I thought the hairdos alone But I thought like For a while Like everybody's just gonna Dig out old videos And try to make an indie film And it kinda happened So Alfred said to me We had been shooting on film We were old school We were like cutting with Styro uh, with, 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 with razor blades And scotch tape really? You know Like that's how we went To film school So with these commie cams These Russian crank cameras yeah. Yeah. That we would, that we would, the machine as we called them in those days, <laughs> the machine, you know, these Bolex like eight, you know, you put a key in and wind them up, you know. Yeah. So now all of a sudden it was the era of it was avids, Media One nonlinear editing, digital filmmaking. So Alfred said, like, we should do a DV, a digital video project. I'm like, you know what, I don't like. It's cold. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't have the warmth of film. So even if you're like not an expert, you still sit down and go, Well, that don't feel like Mary Poppins or that don't yeah, feel like yeah. Scarface. Like, you know, it doesn't. So I said, But it's it's kind of synonymous with the coldness of, of news footage and TV. So what if we did a doc? We'd never done a doc, but we hadn't even taken a doc class. We were yeah. fans of the genre. But I said, Well, if you, he wanted to, he just, he was an early adopter. So he like, he always has been. Like, yeah. he wanted to just let's do DV, let's do Final Cut Pro version 1.0, literally. He's like, let's try this. And I kind of said, well, the genre to me seems to be, or the technology seems to be best suited to docs. Now you got HD, you got film lenses, you can make it look really sexy and and we do or try to, but those days it was just cold video shit. So it was like, I said, let's do it. He said, let's do digital video. I said, cool, let's do a doc. And then this story, like it was the perfect storm, one, two, three. Yeah. And, and we, did, we, became, uh, we, we decided to do it in January of 2000. And in January of 2001, we, be, we became the youngest filmmakers in Sundance history a year later with, really? that, with that movie. How, the,
0: how old were you? We were
1: 22 when we got to Sundance. Oh so we were God. like 21 when we got And so it. now
0: do you get, did you get much, did you incorporate, did you hang out with those, those guys in the video? Did you incorporate them in the video? The guys that were in the raid? Oh, yeah.
1: We interviewed the, uh, the stripper. Really? We interviewed one of the three guys who was in the room, uh, in the private room. We interviewed another three fraternity brothers who were a part of the, the major, you know, the, the, the house event in the common area. Um, we interviewed uh, a representative from the university police department, yeah. who's, uh, at that time anyway, the number one crime that they faced on campus uh, bicycle theft. Really, that was the the number one crime that the university police department investigated. uh, And
0: I feel like I feel like my freshman class was the first class where rape, acknowledging that rape happened, was was brought up. Like before that, I remember I remember going to a social. I remember hearing stories about socials at at uh, at our fraternity where people were chanting "No means yes." Like just, I mean, like it was just like I mean, there was a real fucking problem with rape. In 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 universities, and still say, is. Oh yeah yeah yeah, completely. I would say I would say, and I, I was thinking about doing some sort of like uh, uh, pro bono work of going to colleges and talking about rape and talking to boys. Look, if you want to, don't. It's like all the focus about rape is like talk to women. Fuck that. Talk to the people doing it. Yeah. Talk to boys. Show this movie because this movie opens
1: up a well of discussion like I've never seen. I I've had Q and A's with this movie. It's the most like. Fascinating, sometimes depressing, sometimes enlightening experience. I mean, one woman at a Q and A went up to a microphone and said, "I've never said this publicly before, but I was a victim of sexual assault on campus several years ago," and told her whole story. and And it just it kind of opens up this whole discussion, which is a pretty taboo subject. Yeah. Which I think is what you're getting at. Nobody really, yeah, no acknowledged one, yeah. it. You no, know, wait.
0: so so uh, and without having a spoiler alert, but like, mm. what what was the what was your summation of this?
1: You know what, honestly, and I'm not saying this just to, just to be self-promotional because really very few people have seen this movie because it's so graphic because the videotape itself is tantamount to a homemade porn movie. And depending on your personal view, either depicts the rape of this woman or or, or consensual sex. So really? you really have to watch it for yourself because it's like – uh, and the movie, one of the greatest compliments we ever got is, is uh, from the Scotsman, which is like the New York Times in, in Scotland, and they gave it four stars and they said it is a triumph of objective reporting because over the course of the movie, people themselves will change their mind about what they think really? uh, happened and, and you do it over the course of watching the raw video footage and I wanted to kind of duplicate that experience it's a pretty confusing because here's the thing it's like it's not this typical Hollywood rape, you know it's not the accused it's not a woman kicking and screaming and you know on top of a pinball machine I or want anything to say- you know? I saw,
0: I saw some of the
1: video. You would have if you watched on the on, – we had like the first 20 minutes of the movie on our website. Yeah. And I, I want to say
0: I out. saw some of the video and I want to say that I – that it I, – God, I can't, I can't fucking remember. But I remember thinking there are times where you're like, oh, it's fine. And then you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's enough of a buzz yeah. where I'd pull out. I'd be like, ah, I'm done. But then
1: you have, you have the – well, here's the thing. She was a stripper. So part of her job is to draw a line. And say we have this is a professional transaction. I set the rules. If I want to break the rules, you know, you can't touch me. I can touch you. And then if she puts her hands on you, it starts to gray over the course of the night. With first of all, uh, drugs and alcohol are involved. Yeah, lack exhaustion is involved. Moving from the the common area to the private room started. So the line blurs. And graze until it virtually disappears. And so either Lisa, who is the, the alleged victim, is trying to reestablish those boundaries by, offer, by by saying, yes, but, yes, but, you know, yes, I will do this, but no, I won't do that. Yeah. Um, does she use the word no? Does that matter? Is Alfred always says, uh, producing partner, Alfred Spellman, he says, like, you expect video to present some kind of objective reality. You see the surveillance video from 7-Eleven. That's the guy. He robbed the place. Go find him. Yeah. Boom. Here, you realize that this crime of rape, which might be one of the most oft-committed, least reported crimes in the history of man, you realize that this might actually be in the heads of both the victim and the perpetrator. Meaning the breakdown in communication might just be you know, this sort of unspoken language that they're trying to express to each other. And it gets really very complicated and convoluted, but this movie really opens up the door for... A really a free flow of uh, of, of ideas and, and, and conversation about it. And I would, just, I wish that the movie was well-known. I think it's the most important thing we've ever done. It's our first work. So yeah, like as a first-time documentarian, there are mistakes. But I think as far as importance, like yeah. as far as finding, I say the job of a documentarian, or really any, any filmmaker, is find a good story and then don't fuck it up. Or yeah. find a good story and then tell it well. So when you have a good story, you get out of its way. You, know, you can adopt a style yeah. that hopefully serves a story, but the idea is just Tell the story well,
0: you know. No, so so, uh, so where wait, where can people just only because I know that people are going to go fuck. I'm going to watch this. Where where can people find it? And what happened with the what, what happened with the the crime? Okay, so was, well,
1: well, our website it, it, it's it's too difficult to spell Rack and Tour, but if you go to cookingcowboys.com, which is much easier to remember, yeah. it redirects you to our website, and then you just click on the the Raw Deal button um and you could just you could stream it i think right there um and any of our movies if you just click on the button uh Canning of America one nation under hip hop not a lot of people saw on VH1 cuz it's like it's like 4 hours so but you could watch yeah. it again streaming for free right on our right on our website uh, cocainecowboys.com, which everybody's going to remember that yeah knows <laughs> that one but the the case uh and again at the risk of sort of spoiling it um the stripper when the police got a hold of the video tape she told them about the tape she goes i was raped it's on video go to the fraternity house and get it they got it they watched the tape and then they put her in handcuffs and arrested her for filing a false police report
0: really? a misdemeanor
1: yeah And that's when the National Organization for Women, the local chapter, the campus chapter got a hold of it and they started doing these protests. The video goes public and then it became you know, it was no longer just a he said, she said, it was now the videotape as well. And now you have people who usually see at the screenings, it's usually a pretty solid fitty-fitty split, you know, between people who think she was raped and people who don't. Then it gets tougher when you start to ask questions like if you were on a jury. Would you convict this man and sent, you know, facing a possible twenty years in prison? Then fewer hands go. In. It's a really interesting experience, but it's also not the way that you think it would be. Was she, was she black or white? She was white. But here is the thing: she. It's a great question too, because it's, it's uh, when the Duke lacrosse case came up, a lot. Of this this whole this whole case kind of came up again, yeah. um, and they started talking about our movie again, like on the twenty four hour news stations and everything. And so, um, but she was. How do I put this? What they referred to as white trash in the video. That's how yeah. they refer to her. And she had she, – her ex-husband was black. She had some black children. The police – detective actually includes in the 60-page police report on her misdemeanor filing a false police report yeah. that her children are black for no reason. She just includes that detail really? in the police report. And she also – she went to the local community college, Santa Fe Community College in yeah. Gainesville. So there's kind of like – and you realize that it's not so much about race than it is socioeconomic status. It's
0: always about socioeconomic. Yeah. Like, like I, I, I would want to say that the majority of times that you, you hear white people – say racially charged things I think they're misdirected and what they really mean to say is uh not a black person Cuban person Mexican person but what they mean to say is this uneducated like it's it's I think that they confuse race with socioeconomics or this poor person this you know like there's that great line from Bullworth from the Warren Beatty movie
1: where he says white people have more in common with black people than rich people than they do with rich. I mean, that's yeah. the bottom line: is that like it's not the the difference of races and religion. All of these things are, are are a distraction to pit us against each other. Yeah. When in actuality, it's not the white man keeping the black man down; it's the rich man keeping everybody down. It's, yeah.
0: It's, <laughs> and you look at it's, it. What it there's no. I don't know. I don't. I'm not going to get on the conversation about race, but. Um, I have no fucking dog in that fight What the fuck do I care
1: We're white guys yeah, like, like, That's the thing it's like, it's like we could not I mean it's, it wasn't up to us That we're white guys yeah. You can't blame us for it But the truth is Is that I don't know How difficult life is yeah. for, I try to be empathetic and sub- But like I, I, it, it disgusts me I mean like there, There's just a, I was just talking to this lawyer Who also happens to be a commissioner for In the city of Miami Beach And he's got a case A black woman who was uh, in a strip club with her uh, brother and they, these dudes jumped on stage to attack the brother and they pushed them off stage the strip club throws them out into the parking lot but then when they leave the club later this woman and her brother and their friend these guys are still dwelling in the parking lot and they literally back them up the woman goes to her car because she's scared she gets her gun puts it in her pocket and they back her up against a wall. She tries to break up like this Malay. They, 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 they start punches start being thrown. She pulls out a gun and fires and kills a guy. This is what we call in Florida "stand your ground." Yeah. This is the law. You may not like it, you might, de- but this is classic textbook stand your ground. If ever there was a stand your ground case, a lot of people I know have exploited it, misused it. This is a stand your ground case. She's a black woman though. She's been in jail for two months now, waiting some sort, you know, waiting trial. Wait- but like I, it's crazy. But I, I realized I was like, you know what? Stand Your Ground also, it also applies to black people. Not yeah. just when white people shoot black oh. people, but, but you realize that there really are two, two completely distinct systems of justice in oh, this country.
0: Oh, completely. I was having drinks with Monique, who's a comedian, uh, the during the Trayvon Martin thing. And we were at a bar talking with her, I think her husband or her boyfriend. I think it's her husband and her manager. And uh, she, was, she lives in Miami. She was like, fuck yeah, I have a gun and fuck yeah, I like Stand Your Ground. Not to put words in Monique's mm-hmm. mouth. But like the majority of people that live in Florida carry firearms. And they are firm believers in stand your ground. And and you look at the whole Opie and Anthony thing. Anthony had a firearm on him and he didn't shoot her. Yeah. The woman that attacked him. Everyone's like, did she really attack him? I, yeah. Do you have any idea what a sociopath you need to be to be like, I just made this whole fucking thing up?
1: <laughs> yeah. Now he was set off by something. So, he, you know, yeah. something obviously happened. He didn't yeah. just start tweeting out of the clear blue sky. You exactly.
0: Know? So, uh, but yeah, that uh, I, my buddy... Cowhead always has a gun on mm. him. Always. You kind of a, have to in Florida. It's amazing. Everyone has a gun on them in Florida. You kind of have to. And and, and if people really understood that,
1: I think we'd all treat each other a lot nicer, <laughs> a lot yeah. friendlier, too. But that thing about Trayvon, it's like every time I'd have a conversation with somebody about Trayvon, it was very simple. You just had to use the Matthew McConaughey closing argument from A Time to Kill line. It's Imagine
0: like, if that kid was white.
1: Right. It's like, why are we having... The, like? Why are we having this conversation? What, what happened? I, 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 you know, I, I didn't take a lot of sides, but I posted a lot of uh, articles about it on, on my Twitter feed, and I lo- You know, I got I got some flack, got some tweef, you know, some Twitter yeah. beef with some folks, and I finally just I finally just tweeted at the wh- wh- you know when the when, when the trial was over. And by the way, I've sat on a jury, a criminal jury uh, trial in Miami Dade County. I believe that the jurors, with the evidence that they had, yeah, unfortunately for better or worse, came to the right legal conclusion because the only other witness you understand was shot and killed by George Zimmerman. So the evidence that they had was the, I think was, was consistent unfortunately with the, with the verdict that they came to. But I finally just tweeted. I said, listen, it's cool if you unfollow me because of my Trayvon tweets. Yeah. But if George Zimmerman had unfollowed Trayvon, we never would be having this conversation. Yeah. So you want to see where, where, where shit started. It's like he got out of the
0: car. If he had unfollowed, oh yeah. If he
1: had that. unfollowed him, him yeah, we <laughs> yeah. would not even be having this conversation. So, like, that's the bo- but. But everybody, he's a thug. He's this. He's that. Oh, dude. Oh my God. So we have a U fan page for the movie. Yeah, we came up with this U fan page. This kind of goes back to our kind of obsession with technology. We 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 had the first movie page on MySpace. I don't know if you remember MySpace. I remember it my was Space a, Funk, the, yeah, MySpace. Fuck The lost city of <laughs> the social yeah. media city of MySpace. Um, but we had like one before they had like it's MySpace. Thunderdome
0: and Dane Cook's running it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: two men enter one
0: man yeah, one man I, leave it's, it's a it's a it's got this old like uh water world vibe to it <laughs> and Dane Dane is still he's on the a, mariner he's on a jet ski going <laughs> oh no ah, yeah. Yeah, he's
1: the smoker he's Dennis Hopper
0: yeah exactly <laughs> That's I'm trying to. I remember I got a movie gave me an anxiety attack. But keep going. No, wait, no. So. Well, so
1: we, even before before they did like the channels where there was like MySpace comedy, MySpace music, MySpace yeah. movies. Even before that, we threw Cocaine Cowboys up on MySpace as we made. So there wasn't such thing as a MySpace movie page, but we made a page for the movie. And the next thing you know, we got a call from Tribeca Film Festival to help us uh, for for us to help them with their MySpace page. Then it became like a whole thing because all of a sudden, overnightish, we got like thirty thousand followers yeah. on this or friends or whatever on the, whatever they called them i don't know the terminology is tall or small i don't know all the corporate yeah. technology <laughs> friends followers is minions i don't know i don't know i don't speak corporate speak but um they um so we were on and then we were on facebook so we did a, a you facebook page the movie wasn't premiering until december of 2009 on espn on you know on espn right after yeah. the um the heisman ceremony and then so, but in it, we we were in the middle of it in August. So we put the page up in August. Why August? Back to school, baby. Everybody's reengaging oh, in yeah. college football. So we throw this Ufan page up. The next thing you know, boom, forty five thousand followers. Now it's like one hundred eighty thousand followers. It's one of the largest and most interactive Kane's fan sites, and it was all for the movie to promote the yeah. movie. And we would do news you can use, like contemporary Kane's news, but. Every once in a while, sprinkle in some great classic Kane stuff, promote the movie, of course, yeah. and we've maintained it. We always joked in case we make a sequel, but hell, we, now we're making a sequel. Uh, but but the, uh, the point of the story was that one day at when the, the Trayvon verdict came, every once in a while, I like to troll my own page. Like yeah. the other day when I when I posted that picture of LeBron's moving truck like the moving trucks moving his cars like yeah. I don't really give a shit. The man's making a life decision. Leave him alone. You know yeah. he's at his he's at his basketball f- camp in Vegas. He's meeting with teams. He's going to do whatever's best for him and his family. Why do we all have to be hanging on this guy? Meanwhile, yeah. I'm posting like important stories about the world, but the the biggest post of the day with some you know just rampant lebron speculation is uh, is this is what people have to sit around and worry is your life so boring and miserable <laughs> yeah. that this guy taking a dump is like the focal point of your day regard i digress cuz now he's leaving <laughs> now he's going to cleveland is he yeah you while you while you were sleeping dude oh shut the fuck up yeah breaking news he's going to cleveland it's over the decision really? has been – I said uh, a few weeks ago, I was like, everybody relax. What's all the speculation? It's going to be at least a few weeks plus one hour on ESPN before we hear, we hear his decision. Holy but he didn't. Shit. He just announced it. He had, a, he had a very nice heartfelt letter about – and everybody knew his story arc. Like I said, find yeah. a good story you know, and tell it well. His story arc had to be going home to oh, Cleveland. Yeah. But he, he was tw- he's 29, so it was really a question of when, I, thought, I think. But I, I honestly, I didn't think it was going to be – this quickly, uh, yeah. I, didn't. I thought he was going to stick around another couple years. God, but, that's so fucking. Yeah, but LeBron's crazy. Going, going back to Cleveland. But you know what? Then you have to live in Cleveland. So,
0: well, I think he he grew up in Ohio, right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I got to be honest with you. Ohio is my favorite state in the entire union. Are you serious? Oh yeah. Have you ever been? Por qué? Por qué Ohio? Oh, uh, it's fucking amazing. I, it's there's trees everywhere. Mm. It feels like you are in the. It feels like you are always like. I don't know. We, I did it with the crew, my, my trip flip crew. We all kind of argued what was our favorite state. And we argued pro and con. And like we're like, well, we all love Montana, but diversity isn't necessarily running rampant in Montana. And if you really want a fun state, you need diversity. You I need, agree. You yeah. need gays. You need uh, uh, blacks. You need Latinos. Yeah. I get
1: freaked out when there's too many white people. I can't get like a ros yeah. con pollo or like cate yeah. con leche. I start to freak out. I'm like, this is cool, but I got to go.
0: The food is one note. Yeah. I, like, I
1: can't do the homogenized towns. Yeah. yeah, and
0: so we went through all pro and con everything. We we're like, it's Ohio. It's Ohio. is our favorite state. We all talked about it. And then like, we went through 12 states that we were argued pro and con. And we all ended on Ohio. It's often my favorite. Dude, state. any
1: state that would vote Bernie Kosar for president is okay in yeah. my book. did yep. he
0: would Bernie win Ohio Trump. for sure. God, man, what's he doing now? He's kind of he looked rough in that in that. Uh.
1: Well, you know, he he he's well. Time and alcohol have taken their toll. He's been pretty candid about his his issues. I mean, he you know he he, he called a lot of audibles, so he he didn't wear a mouth guard. and he was in he played football for. He was in the 13 seasons in the NFL and then three years in college. And so he took a lot of blows, you know, so so, you know, his his concussion situation, his brain situation has been tenuous. I think he's had some surgery. Uh, He's been very candid about his struggles with with alcohol and and, and drug abuse. And and, a lot of these guys are you don't have the team doctor anymore. You start self-medicating. So that's what yeah. happens To a lot of these guys And and Bernie's been You know He's, he's, he's caught some flack He's been in some trouble uh, he, he had a DUI arrest uh, Pretty recently But I I think Those are like Wake up calls For a guy like Bernie Because he's an incredibly God, how old Smart is he's be Responsible like guy Yeah and, and he's a pretty He's a pretty smart And this year's a guy Who made Despite having I mean the average career In the NFL is 3.3 years He was in yeah. it for like 12-13 seasons So he made a lot of money But he's famous for having made even more money after he retired from the NFL in like business and real yeah. estate. He was a very smart so he graduated UM I think in like 3 years and, and but he had an incredible experience when his dad um who was a uh, you know s- steel mill town kind of guy who lost yeah. his job when the when the when, when the factory closed down, a classic kind of Ohio, you know, story um yeah. you know Cleveland suburb kind of tale and his dad essentially helped deliver him to the Browns after he graduated um University of Miami. What do you mean? I mean, he helped facilitate that deal. Meaning that, like, you know, Bernie was going to Cle- back to Cleveland, so to speak. Yeah. You know, it's like LeBron playing for the Cavaliers. So it's like, you know, the prodigal son returns. And so his dad negotiated, unbeknownst to Bernie, a secret $1 million side deal with the team that got paid out to him over, like, three years or so, whatever really? Bernie's contract was. Yeah. So his dad was being paid by the team. God dang. Yeah. So, like, th- th- that's what broke is really about. It's about... You know who who can you trust and 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 how these athletes go broke because that's the funny thing about not funny thing but the the craziest thing that I learned about it is everybody always says how the fuck do these guys blow through all this money? Turns yeah. out it's very easy to do.
0: Oh yeah, I've, t- I've <laughs> torn through I've torn through a lot of money. <laughs> like I mean, I remember one point I had I had uh, and that's why I like that that doc is that it's really easy. I mean I'm I'm doing it this weekend, but <laughs> uh, but like I, I remember I my first TV show I was making which I, I mean. I guess I can. I don't. I don't really care. But I was. I, all the money's gone. Yeah. But I had a deal. I had a deal with Will Smith that was six figures, and I had a deal at CBS that was six figures. And but I got both those monies at the exact same time, randomly. That's how that worked back then. Is you'd sign a deal and but you wouldn't get the money for like a year. But, so I got both those monies at the same time, and then I was making good agent, dude. I was making five grand a week, which oh God, I thought it was so much money. Now I look back, I'm like. How did I get by? But like I was making five grand a week. I mean, it's so silly to say, but I was making five grand a week on the X show, and uh, and and then and I was just, and I was just banking money. But and TV
1: money isn't getting better. Budgets are getting tighter. Uh, there's so many networks,
0: and and it's getting better. It's it has remained the same for um it it's remained the same for basic cable. I think the basic cables kind of plateaued over the years and they never paid money. Then they paid money. And now they're on this like level where you're like, they they pay some money, but they're not, they're not, you're not making a million. Some people are making a million dollars. Like Bourdain is probably, I would say, uh, I was, I'm not going to say anyone on my network that is, but I'm sure there are people on my network (laughs) that are. And, but, uh, sitcom money fell apart. Oh yeah. Sitcom money. When I first deal, it was like 35 grand an episode was my deal. I did a deal, like, probably six years ago where I was doing going to test. and You got to make the deal before you go into test. And they were like, they offered me five grand an episode. And my, I was like, five grand an episode? Like, <laughs> wait, you guys know that, like, I remember being like, I would never do that. And this was before Travel Channel. And I was like, mm. I wouldn't have done that for Travel Channel.
1: I remember I was a kid. I was a child actor. Um, so to speak and Because and, in Miami In those days My brother was the athlete In the family My brother yeah. was this little Jewish kid Everything he did He picked up a hockey stick He was ridiculous He yeah. picked up a basketball He was ridiculous He picked up a football a Baseball Just an incredible athlete I had my first at bat At the North Miami Beach Optimist uh, T-ball I struck out. It's T-ball. You know what T-ball is? The ball's on a oh, fucking yeah. stick oh, yeah, right no. in front of you. Yeah. yeah, swung at it three times. <laughs> One time I caught T, but that's a strike. Yeah. Okay, I didn't, con- I realized my first at-bat strikeout in T-ball Sports was not for me. So I had friends who were actually like on, like doing TV commercials Cause in Miami. It was like hot back then. Talking about like Miami Vice and catalog modeling and all this shit. That here. Burt Reynolds show. And, and you know, there's all with, kinds was of. That,
0: remember that Burt Reynolds? He did a, he did a show down here. Which show did he do? Or maybe that? it was in Seminole. He did it. Uh, I'm sure he did a show because he was here. Oh, he said, yeah. yeah. Uh, I forget. It was with the, him and, and a young black kid and they solved mysteries together.
1: Wait, Cop and a Half? The movie? That was a feature.
0: Wait, they, but they did a series. Based also, on you are kidding. I want to say they did a series. Cop
1: and a Half was a movie with Burt Reynolds and a little black kid as a uh, oh, you know solving crimes or whatever the hell they did. That's, that's a. Lo- so I would fuck love fuck if they. Well, those were. I was working. It was the '90s in LA that I that I started that I started working because I did a commercial for every fakakta thing you can you can imagine here. That's so and fucking. like you name a product or a category, cereal, fast food, sandwich meats, toys, and I did a commercial for it in Miami, and then I started to to go. We would. What, the manager would, would fax sides. You'd get sides faxed. You know, they, and then you'd put yourself on videotape like my mom God. would put me on the video, And we'd send – we'd FedEx the tape. And then they would fly us out Pan Am business class. They were throwing away so much. I always thought this business model is untenable. Like
0: yeah. <laughs> the, oh. all the money they threw around. I flew out, for, I flew out first class on, uh, on like United when I was 25, 26. To LA, and I remember going like, they don't need to fly me first class. Yeah. Did you even have the gig yet? Like,
1: I didn't even have the gig. No, I was no, going no. to test or meet producers, or I was something. going out or, to
0: meet with networks.
1: So I, I, it was the same shit for me. And well, I wound up working a lot. I I, I played. Um, Judd Hirsch's kid on Dear John a show on NBC I don't remember that show Uh, uh, about the divorce the group of divorce uh, divorcees who were like really so I was his son Ben Savage was his son and then he got his own show and then I took over I I was an alcoholic son of Douglas Brackman Jr. on LA Law or la la la, as we used to call it um yeah it was fun like i my my mom used to joke she's like it's like and all all the shows i did were nbc it's like it's the network of billy corbin i was a little kid i was i was on night court i was a patient on empty nest remember yeah empty nest i was and i and it was already like towards the end of that show so it was a big deal i was like oh my god i get to be a patient on empty Nest because i watched that show remember all those sitcoms that took place in miami golden girls empty nest nurses they had like that lineup. Uh, of shows, so like that was really cool. Um, and I worked a lot as a, as a kid out in L.A. My last two years, I, well, I tested for um, a pilot, uh, which I think was at CBS, but then moved networks called Third Rock from the Sun. Me, I was tested with John Lithgow and Shut didn't get didn't up. get the part. I think I think the better I think the more talented actor uh, certainly got that, got George, Joseph George Gordon Levitt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, certainly got that part. But so my, the last two years, I'm in L.A. Uh, Because at some point I was like, it's like being, it's like playing t-ball or doing ballet. You're like, you grow out of it. It's a, you know, you're like, okay, I'm not doing this anymore. I don't look good in a tutu. Like it's over. You know, I was just, that was my after school activity. So every year my parents would say to me, uh, and I I was doing pretty well. We were reinvesting the money, so to speak, but I was doing pretty well. And it was that stupid money, that era of stupid money and, and in Hollywood. And so my parents would say to me, when you're done, let us know. 'Cause we would like split up the family for pilot season. It was it was getting yeah. silly, you know. Yeah. So my brother and my dad were home, were in Miami and my mom and I were out there. So they'd be like, Whenever you're ready, Bill, let us know and we'll we'll stop doing this. Yeah. You know, we don't have to do this. We're not forcing you to do it. And I would go to like I went to a place called Valley Professional School. It was a school for working actor kids and I would get my books and my assignments, and then if I needed help, I'd go into some strip mall office uh, some strip mall classroom that they had and there was like jonathan brandis and all these like kids were on hiatus between like it was a really weird subculture in those days and so the the second to last year i did a show this was in the days when the money started to fall off slightly because then they then when you weren't doing a pilot they'd call it a presentation yeah which was really just a pilot only you had five days instead of two weeks
0: Uh, i I remember that and now it's called a sizzle
1: (laughs) Now, yeah, now now it's like, give us two minutes. Yep. Give us your best two minutes. Who you know? wants to sit through yep. five minutes? <laughs> Who's got Fuck. that kind of time? So, so we would do a, but it, we had to do the whole show in this presentation. But instead of the normal two weeks for a sitcom pilot, we had five. We had the, like a, the typical sitcom like schedule, the one yeah. week. So, and the show was called Odd Man Out, and it was written by, uh, uh, was it Ed Dector and John Strauss, I think were their names. Yeah. And, um, Amy Aquino, this other kid was in it. Um, Allison Porter, who played Curly Sue, who I knew we did Parenthood together in Orlando. That was one of the first movies they shot in Universal, uh, Florida, was Parenthood. They did like really? Nickelodeon shit, Psycho 4 and Parenthood. I, was in, I, had a, I cursed in Parenthood. My mom couldn't believe that Opie was making me curse. because really? uh, Yeah, because Ron Howard was directing that movie. And that was incredible because I was like nine years old. And we went up to Orlando, and it was the creepy, creepiest shit. Universal was just a few sound stages where they did Nickelodeon stuff and then mountains of dirt. And in the middle of the dirt, lit up by spotlights at night was the psycho house yeah. in the middle of... no? You would just look out and you'd be like, that's some scary that's shit right there. So insane. so we did Parenthood up there and with like... Uh, it was like Steve Martin and Mary Steenburgen and... Uh, Keanu Reeves. Uh, and, uh, and, and Lee Phoenix in those days. he wait, was wait, Lee am, I th- th- am I thinking of... No, you're right. Of, Keanu yeah, Reeves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With Martha Plimpton. He was Leith, one of the yeah, Lee Phoenix. Phoenix. Who's now uh, uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Um, same sorry. guy. There you go. It's, it's yeah. the shofar. It's, is it <laughs> is it the holiday High Holies already? Jesus, And so... So I'm the kid in the birthday party who goes... That's the schmuck who brought the horse, and let's go watch the horse shit. Yeah. And I have another line in that in that scene where where uh, Steve Martin is doing his cowboy Dan routine. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you're you're not cowboy Dan, you're Kevin's dad. And when Steve Martin did the talk show circuit, that was the clip they used on Johnny on Arsenio. Really? I mean, wherever he went, they showed that clip. And, and my mom would flip out. and go, Oh my god, that's Billy screaming! That's Billy's oh, voice. It was up. awesome. And I think I got like a residual check for that too. But the crazy, I get residual checks for L.A. Law that the checks are for less money than the stamp because it's like you know when they go previously on LA Law yeah. and if they show a clip of you during that you get like twenty four cents or twenty five yeah. cents in Indonesia. Yeah. It's just like ridiculous. But I digress. So also in that show was Hillary Swank. She was playing the sister of the lead guy. I was, always, I was always the Urkel. I was always the next-door neighbor, yeah. the best friend, the younger brother. That Skippy. was always – that was always – yeah. I was yeah. like – or Eddie Haskell. You know, like, that was always my, my part. So I played the best friend and who had like the hots for all of his sisters. It was like an odd man out. It was him, his single mom, and his three sisters, of which Hillary Swank was one of them. So uh, we do the show. It doesn't get picked up. Um, interestingly, many years later, Ed Decker and John Strauss – would co-author the script to There's Something About Mary really and this script would get revived and it went to series for 13 episodes with Marky Post odd man out all of a sudden I'm like that's the show I did like five years ago yeah. now it's it, it was picked up for a season because these guys blew up you know what uh, happens yeah. you blow up and you're really hot and so uh, and I think Ed and John wrote that script and then the Farley Brothers came in because it's credited like the Farley Brothers and then Ed and John so I feel oh, like really? they had like a, ro- a cute romantic comedy script that the Farley Brothers came and turned into you know cum in your hair you yeah. know like that, that was boom you know yeah, b- let, made
0: let me it. just put in a, a, a sunburnt old lady yeah. and yeah. this is
1: and it was huge. Miami. Miami movie, no less. Yeah. They shot it down here, yeah. And, and so, uh, long story even longer, the second – that was when I decided to retire at like age 15 from, from, from acting. And we come to Miami, and my, my manager would still hit me up and be like, put yourself on tape, put yourself on tape. So we did it, and they flew me out. And I – it, it was a Fox pilot called Reality Check. So this is like 9495 right around okay. there. And I'm already going to high school in Miami like a normal human being. It wasn't a total it was an arts high school. So it was kind of like fame, a little yeah. we danced on cabs and things. It was ridiculous. But but it was still like I was now home and like it was trying to have like a normal a normal life and it was cool. And so um they fly me out and like are aud- like I'm there for days. Like what's up? Like I'm playing the brother of the li- like I'm I'm not an important cast member. So yeah. they finally call me in for one last audition because i said i'm going home like 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 just you know if i get it i get if i don't that's cool too um because after a while i kept thinking to myself what is the goal here we come out every pilot season i do some usually terrible show and then i can do a couple guest stints and then like a movie but you can only do one pilot because they have they have they have power over you you know like they have first word of refusal so if they pick up the show and they want you you can't be obligated to any other show so like and i'm like well what was the goal here the goal would be like i'd one of these shows would get picked up I'd be rich but I'd be miserable probably you know what I mean on one of these terrible shows so reality check so I do this I do this audition and I go out my, my mom is there I'm like Let's go home. And they come out, they go, You got the part. I've never got I've never seen that happen before. Like the casting director comes running back out and is like, Okay, yeah. you got the part. You got it. And we need you to come down the hall because the entire cast is in a conference room waiting to do the first read through. And I'm like, oh, they're waiting yeah. for me. I was like, I'm the least important character in this script. Like what you know what I mean? Like yeah. But everybody else is in. So I walk down the hall, I walk in the room, Hillary Swank is there. I'm like, Hillary, what are you doing here? She's like, Billy, what are you doing here? We got cast in the same pilot two years in a row. Yeah. And which is in those days, that's crazy because like, they were doing a lot of pilots in those days. But that was – so what are the odds? So we do the show. Uh, it was EP'd and written by um, these writers named David Crane and Marta Kaufman. Yeah. And so they did another pilot that year too for another network, NBC, uh, called the Untitled Courtney Cox pilot. Oh. And so, oh, and so re- reality check doesn't get picked up for oh, Fox. shit. I become the youngest filmmaker at Sundance. Hillary wins two academy awards. David Crane and Marta Kaufman's NBC pilot gets a title. It's Friends. Yeah. And the rest is all is all history. That was my last foray as an actor God, in Hollywood. That's yeah. fucking But can you imagine sick. that show gets picked up? It ruins all of our lives possibly. You know, like David Crane and Mark Coffman are show running two shows, and you never know how how you can really like moderate quality on that. What
0: happens if that does get picked up? It ruins your life. Ruins my. I'd be a
1: millionaire, maybe, or a drug addict, or a meth head, or something.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you would have have never found solace in anything. (laughs) But you might have fucked Hillary Swank, which would have been pretty cool. I would have definitely. I feel
1: like she was already with Rob Lowe's brother, Chad Lowe, at that point. Was she? Yeah, they were married very young. And then, speaking divorced. of drug addicts,
0: he he fell off the map, right? Chad Lowe did Chad Liddy. Yeah, he had a bad cocaine problem. Real? I'm yeah. shocked. I'm shocked, dude. I would have <laughs> loved to have Rob Lowe Just i, I mean, as a kid, I remember thinking I would love to look like Rob Lowe for one day and just <laughs> slaughter pussy. Like
1: yeah. I always paraphrase that Woody Allen line about uh, uh, about uh, uh, Warren Beatty. I said, when I die, I want to come back as Leonardo DiCaprio's hands. <laughs> like, because like what those hands have touched. Oh, I was and Woody Allen used to say that about Warren Beatty, like back in the sixties. You know, so 70s. funny.
0: The first thing I thought was, you'll just be touching his dick a lot. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's the first thing I thought. I want to come back. Oh, the, his, great <laughs> the Great
1: Gatsby. His mouth. The Great Gatsby.
0: What? Um, no. So, so you go from you go from, it, you 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 seem to be very Florida centric.
1: We told this all out of order. It's like Pulp Fiction know, or something know, here, like I Jackie know. Brown. I know. I'm
0: trying to find some sort of closure. I I'm really yeah. bad at podcasting. Um, <laughs> I'm the worst interviewer. It's Add so, podcast. So you, you do Cocaine Cowboys. Yeah. By the way, I always wanted to tell you, we found a brick of weed in the ocean when we were Square in, Grouper in, baby. Yeah. When we were in high school, not we. I didn't find it. Someone else found it, but they were selling it, and it's called seaweed. <laughs> seaweed. And we were and Square remember, Grouper. Yeah, yeah it had a bunch ever, of names. Yeah. But everyone was like, "Can you taste the salt water?" And we were like,
1: "Yeah, I totally can." But you couldn't. <laughs> the, uh, Howard Schnellenberger, the coach from the U, um, who just retired from uh, from FAU, uh, he his son was a model back in those days. So Miami, in like the, just like you see it in Scarface, Ocean Drive was just a shithole. Of retirees It was efficiencies You could live there For $200 a week You could live in these rooms And it was a lot of people On social security On fixed incomes A lot of holocaust survivors Old Jews And it looked just like It did in the Scarface Um, And so Bruce Weber The photographer Comes to town And goes Well shit this is beautiful. You know, the guy's a photographer. It's all about comedy. It's what you're, what's in the frame and what's not in the frame. Yeah. And you keep the old people out and you keep the beautiful Art Deco and, of course, this, you know, the sun and the sand and the trees. And he went on top of the Breakwater Hotel and shot what became the Calvin Klein Obsession campaign. Remember the black and white little kids half naked? Yeah. That was, like, scandalous. It was like yeah. this was young naked kid. So one of those kids was Howard Schnellenberger's son. Who was a model. So one morning they show up really early. To a shoot behind the Fountain Blue Hotel. And if you've ever been behind the Fountain Blue, all those, like that stretch of beach there, there's a broad walk. There's like this this raised uh, wooden boardwalk thing. And uh, they, so they went out there one morning, like right at the break of dawn. The sun's coming up over the Atlantic. And what should wash ashore? But... A bale of marijuana. It's forty pounds a pot, yeah. uh, seaweed, or square grouper, and they dragged it and kept it under the the staircase of the of the broadwalk, and then took it home. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> yeah, I was like, uh, uh, Howard Schellenberg's wife Beverly told me that she's like, oh, I saw your documentary Square Grouper: The Godfathers of Ganja. I was like, oh, really? And she's like, yeah, and she says we have a square grouper story in the family, and that was the. <laughs> it's,
0: it's, it's so fascinating, but that yeah, that was like a real thing. So wait, how did you? How do you? How do you begin researching for a project like that? Like do you does someone come to you with the story and go you breathe deep into your nose out
1: through your mouth? Is that... No I'm scared. <laughs> that's a That's a funny thing about me Is like my friends Call me up for like my I was notorious in high school um, You know we'd be sitting around People would be smoking weed I was I'm in the high school In the mid 90s So it's like Well weed's the perennial But then it was it was The cyclical trend Of psychedelics Came around again yeah. People were doing Shrooms and acid uh, Ecstasy I guess Kind of brought that on Because ecstasy Was the new drug At the time yeah. But then everybody Was trying the 60s shit All over again uh, And cocaine Had kind of fallen off In the 90s And in high school Nobody had money For, for cocaine anyway But I was notorious So we'd, we'd be sitting Around and people would be smoking and they would pass the joint Over me because I didn't smoke I didn't yeah. even start Drinking until I was 21 much to my uh, to The chagrin of my roommate at the University of Miami dorms uh, but he, he Drank enough Lee drank enough for us for Like both of us yeah. our freshman Our freshman year and um, I have never done drugs I've never even taken a hit off a joint I drink. I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm making up for lost time when I started drinking at 21. But like, I, and my friends are calling me, I'm like, what the hell do you know about cocaine? Like, what, what are you doing all these drug movies for? It's like, you've never done drugs yeah. uh, before. And I'm like, well, it's a, you know, I try to tell a good story. It really doesn't
0: matter. But and like, it's a story that's indicative of South Florida.
1: And that was it. We grew up with it. That's yeah. really the answer to your question is like, I grew up sitting at the dinner table while mom's, at, you know that awful feeling on a weeknight when mom's making dinner? The sun's going down, you're doing homework. You're like, shit, I'm now closer to school then I am away from, you know, you're like that horrible feeling like mom's steaming vegetables or making dinner or pasta and like I'm just sitting there and the news, the local news is on at 5 p.m. And these are the stories that we grew up with, like all that news footage you see in Cocaine Cowboys, that was our childhood. And then when we started to do the research for Cocaine Cowboys and I'm watching all that news footage like together and, you know, not just one night, you know, one night uh, 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 or or one day a week and on and on and on. But like I'm watching it all together and it's like, I called my mom up and I was like, what the fuck were you thinking raising children in Miami
0: (laughs) in the 1980s? (laughs) It's a very honest question. a very valid question. Like, <laughs> Miami was scary.
1: It was scary. It really was. And, and, and the thing was, it started with the drug crime, but then crime just exploded everywhere. You know, like smash and grabs and carjacking. So it just became German like a... German spa- Oh, the German tourists in the 90s. That was It started with the suns. They, put the, they would put the suns on street signs so that tourists would know what exits to get off of. If it, had, if it didn't have a sun on it, like exit at your own peril. Are they you sta- serious? They started taking the... Back in the day, you remember, uh, rental cars had the bumper stickers. They started taking bumper stickers off of the rental cars so that people, criminals, would have a tougher time IDing tourists in rental cars. God. Now, now you just look at it from Manatee County. We call the Manatees. We know that we usually know that they're that yeah. they're tourists. But Miami was a pretty a legitimately well. You think about it. In the early 1980s, right when 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 Time Magazine did their Paradise Lost cover in 1981, our number one industry was real estate, 12 billion dollars a year. Number two was tourism uh, with nine billion dollars a year. Drugs was like a. Twelve thirteen billion dollar a year business, and a lot of that drove the real estate, yeah, <laughs> you know, of market as well.
0: So it's for those of you that don't know, and and I don't know if this is as well known as 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 me and you would know, but uh, there was a there was like I want to say two cases of German tourists pulling off an exit and getting off on the wrong street and and them just pulling them out of the car and killing them. At
1: least. At least two, possibly even as many as three or four. And it was just... When you were over in Germany, the word on the street was boycott Miami you don't go to Miami you will be dead and don't that go was to Miami. yeah and and that was i mean a, that that inspired a lot of uh, you know don't kill me i'm a native or i'm a local like those yeah. types of t- snarky t-shirts or bumper stickers or things i mean it was just like a lot of political cartoons with just like german tourists being hunted like you know like yeah. like <laughs> like like deer um and it, it was really like that i mean and that's the thing about scarface is that there's a there's a, a you know, common sense that Scarface is somehow over the top or exaggerated or hyperbolic. Yeah. It's really, re- It's not. not. It's not. <laughs> it's, yeah, Brian De Palma is famous for that, like operatic style. You know, that big sweeping epic stuff. But the truth of the matter is, is that almost everything Oliver Stone, who wrote that screenplay, he came down to Miami, spent at least a year research. As Oliver Stone researches, you know, he gets very. Oh, uh, <laughs> uh,
0: I would have been. I would have loved to have been on that art research and development team. <laughs> I bet that was a fucking blast. <laughs> it, was, it was holy shit. Well, it
1: reminds me of um, you know, we have a, a studio down here, a recording studio called Criteria Studios, where for people who don't know, almost every major record that you can think of, like famous all time record. We're in the hard rock, so it's appropriate, was recorded, mixed, mastered in part, at least in part at Criteria. Really? Saturday Night Fever, Fleetwood Mac, Allman Brothers, CSN, uh the piano, the upright piano. From the Layla solo Is still there right now In North Miami As we speak Yes And so they would And the artists loved it down here Um really I think Clapton was the first guy Who came down here He was just out of rehab He went um and stayed at a house. What was it? 457 Ocean. Was that the name? Because that he named the album after the house that he lived at yeah. in Golden Beach, with a picture of him. People's tourists still go there to take pictures because he's standing out front of the house in Golden Beach that he rented while he Last did this place album. I would go after dude they, rehab. They wrote Hotel California in Miami Beach in a rented house in Miami Beach. Really? Oh yeah. In, in their bathrobes, they they cold themselves up in the in in in, the, in their room and got sandwiches and coffee delivered to the door. Nobody saw them for three days. Uh, 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 Campbell and Fry, and they all of a sudden. Came downstairs In their bathrobes Guitars And legal pads Saying we just wrote Our best song ever And performed it For the housekeeper And the two ladies Who rented them the house God, Right in Miami Beach Fucking It's uh, So they would Everybody Oh Jimmy Buffett Did changes in latitudes Changes yeah. in attitudes He invented a, a brand of music uh, At Criteria Because he was in Nashville Doing country He's like I want to do Southern rock I want to do something A little different So he like Caribbean rock They invented that there With Margaritaville And so They go there And Uh they they loved it because they were away from the watchful eye of the record labels. Yeah. So the record labels would just get bills sent to them, and they had a <laughs> they had a category for cocaine uh, on the line item on the bill. It would be uh, piano tuning, so that would be the cocaine bill. Oh, so they'd be getting calls at the studio. From like executives, you know, in, at, at, in New York and L.A. At, like, Record hi, just inquiring about this bill. So there's a there's a, an item here for piano tuning for five thousand dollars. And there's only one ballad on the album. So yeah. we're, trying,
0: we're trying to figure this out. Incorporate some fucking <laughs> piano in it, guys.
1: So, so, apparently, Stephen Stills had a bag of cocaine that he put on top of that Layla piano while he was playing. And the bag fell over. And it landed on the keys in a puff of smoke. So he gathered up as much as he could. But, like, for the next several months, the engineers would take straws and poke them through the keys on the piano and just snort. And they got mostly dust, so they were all fucked up. But, like, they would be snorting cocaine from between the keys of the piano uh, at Criteria Studio. And it's still there. The piano is is still there to this day.
0: So, so I, I don't think you answered my question. No, probably not. How do you get the guys to tell you the story for cocaine cowboy oh you
1: hadn't asked that question yet Did but I that's a good that? question yeah, no yeah. that's How a good you- question uh, well you know just like any like Miami it's the same thing with square grouper it's like uh, my favorite pastime of mine is Miami it's like you go to just the diviest dive. I don't like the South Beach Clubs I go to yeah. the, the skeeziest dive bars that I can find um, and you idle up to some crusty dude at the bar you just grab the, the stool next to him and strike up a conversation and invariably he will be some deposed third world leader or some drug smuggler or or at least we'll have a story like that whether it's true or not you'll you know you buy him some shitty whiskey and you'll have you know the most interesting night of storytelling of of your life there you know and so that's kind of a cousin of mine was at his at the pool at his condo you know the shared pool and meets john roberts uh, and, and that's the Italian guy In Cocaine Cowboys who by the time Before his 30th birthday, he had been a part Of the, the biggest, uh, the biggest Crime syndicates In the, in the, in the history of the world the, 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 uh, the mafia, the Italian Mob in New York, and then the Colombian Cartel in Miami, uh, that and so, so, we were like, we'd like to Interview him, and then through him we met Mickey Monday, who was the smuggler, and we started to get these Archetypes, so here's the wholesaler, here's A smuggler, um, now we need a, a Colombian hitman. Yeah. And Rivi, Jorge Rivi Ayala was in a unique position where he had He's guy in
0: prison, right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. he
1: had a deal where he could talk about all the murders he committed in Dade County in Miami Dade County uh, and avoid and only got th- only. He got three life sentences instead of the de- instead of the death penalty. Really? And he couldn't talk about murders in other places because there's no statute of limitations, but he could tell us and he has an impeccable memory you might remember like in the movie he's like he remembers sights sounds smells what cars they drove what caliber of weapon everybody used yeah. who shot who first in what order it's really rather extraordinary and he's such an unassuming character he's yes. such a, a laid-back guy that and, and, he, and he whispers i don't know if it's a force of habit he picked up in prison but he whispers and so when someone whispers you have to lean in Closer to them in order to hear them And so I would realize I'm like centimeters Away from this man who Is a murderer of women and children And yeah and and he but here's the thing He saw himself as as a Mercenary he was a gun for hire He said and I was only going after people that If I didn't kill them first They were going to kill me or my boss who Was paying me to protect her Yeah yeah, the godmother, Lama the Dina, uh, Griselda Blanco. And so he, he saw himself. He wasn't a bloodthirsty murderer who got off on killing people. He was a soldier, just like – in fact, when he came to America when he was 11 years old, uh, he came to, his, his dad was living in Chicago working for General Motors, and he moves from he, – he, actually, he came through customs in MIA. That's how he first entered America and then went to O'Hare in Chicago. And he comes into America, and the customs guys, oh, little George, little Jorge, um, stamping his passport and says, oh, little uh, George, what do you want to do here in America? He goes, I want to kill people. And the guy laughs. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, I want to go to Vietnam for America and kill people for America. Protect America. Holy and they shit. laughed and tussled his hair and stamped his passport and sent George on his way to kill people. <laughs> and Holy He was 11 shit. in those days. Yeah. And, and uh, of course, he went to Chicago. And then by the time he came to, to Miami, he was, uh, he was a gun for hire. He was an assassin for the, uh, for the Medellin cartel.
0: Did you, get, did you get scared at any point in telling that story that – Honestly, you'll
1: understand this having spent so many years in a college town. I was more scared in Gainesville, I think, oh, than, I, than fuck, I ever was yeah. in prison, to tell you. Was, <laughs> was,
0: was, were, were, there, were there kids in, that were out to like w- – when you were doing that documentary about the frac- frat boys? There were people that weren't happy that we were doing it. Let, I'll really? put it to you that way. Uh, uh, there weren't uh, what I would
1: describe as overt threats. There were certainly subtle threats, uh, covert threats, um, hints of threats. Uh, but really, and I think maybe well, you let Rivi is so easygoing, you know, yeah. like he's just so relaxed that like, and, and that's kind of uh, I remember reading a review once for Cocaine Cowboys, and someone said that like, oh, this this proves my theory that every depiction of a movie assassin that we've ever seen has been wrong because like yeah. here's this guy who like throws that all on its head, you know, and 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 that's what's so interesting about him. He's just sort of a normal guy, and but he is this he is this murderer, um, and, and uh, I'll never forget so. That movie, our first movie, Raw Deal, A Question of Consent, it, it got locked up in some litigation with a company called Artisan that eventually got bought out by, um, by Lionsgate. So we kind of yeah. got caught up in this whole mess of like the sale, and they didn't want to release our movie, and they had picked it up uh, out of – it was on the front page of New York Post that they'd picked it up out of Sundance. We couldn't get the movie. They wouldn't pay us for it. They wouldn't release it, and they wouldn't let us go out and resell it or release it. Really? It was just a classic sort of like – Indie film, first time indie filmmaker clusterfuck You know, yeah. just like one of those debacles About, oh, young filmmakers getting screwed That was us, you yeah. know and, and, um, and so we uh, 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 We went, well, We couldn't get any industry financing for cocaine cowboys either That's like a whole, nobody got it Nobody, nobody understood it Really? Yeah, it was just a total mess But we're, so we're, While we're working on cocaine cowboys We're embroiled in this litigation On Raw Deal Question of consent So I'll, I'll never forget uh, Alfred My producing partner We were in the prison We were setting up the cameras And Rivy would They'd bring him into the room In like this mess hall That we would film in And Alfred I guess Appeared sort of distracted or distraught, and Rivy said to him, "Yo, yo, Alfred, yo, always whispering, Alfred. Uh, what's what's the matter? You okay? Everything, everything okay? you could sense something was wrong. Uh, everything okay? And this guy, he, he was he was one of the few people in the in his crew that spoke English, so he'd read the Miami Herald every day. He was like very well informed and kind of integrated into American culture, which is part of what made him so good at what he did. That and the fact that he whispered, which meant people had to get close to him, which is a lot easier to kill you with a Mac eleven, yeah, yeah. which is very difficult to aim a Mac eleven, so you have to be really close. You pull the you pull the trigger on a Mac eleven, and you know forty rounds." later in two seconds you're over but uh, Rivi said Alfred are you okay what's wrong and Alfred said uh, oh you know he's like we're, we're in this lawsuit with the distributor you know they, they won't pay us for, for, for this movie and uh, you know we're, we're just I'm just kind of distracted you know dealing with all this nonsense and Rivi goes somebody owe you money oh. and Alfred's like well kind of we just want the movie it's like you just no 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 you just call this guy let me give you a number to call you call this guy he'll get you your money And Alfred's like, "Thanks, Rivy. Thank you, (laughs) Rivy. But no, thanks. We'll, we'll, we'll go the, we'll go the. That's the thing about cocaine, though. Is that with pot, it wasn't that expensive. Cocaine, it was three in in the late '70s, early '80s on a on a dirt strip, uh, you know, landing strip in Colombia. You could get three to five grand for a kilo. Is what they were. when you got to America in those days, it was fifty thousand dollars. So the risk and the reward was in the transport, was in the smuggling. So that's when the Colombians were like, "What the hell are we selling it for five grand when we could get." When we could get 50 for, right, we'll pay some schmuck three grand a kilo to transport it for us and give it back to us, like, from Apple's factory to the Apple store. You know, like, we'll just start setting up our own wholesale operations around the country. And it's really an ingenious kind of business, just like a CNBC story, which is why I think they show the documentary on CNBC now, because it's such an incredible, like, business success story. And to boot, they were marketing a product that was illegal and still made it a Multi billion dollar uh, uh, business, but these guys, <laughs> these guys, um, they just uh, I, I don't even remember where I was, I was, I was honestly
0: going with this story. Uh, I just started to <laughs> just I don't know either. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, I could listen to you talking. talk forever. <laughs> I it's, you, you, you really do, you really do own the title raconteur. Ronconteur, how do you say it? Raconteur. raconteur, you are a raconteur. I guess that's a
1: great see, see. I, I, that's why I love, I love you and Joe. Uh, uh, and Coco, because like, and by the way, I love Gilbert. I love to watch, you know, yeah. a fucking assassin just go up there. You line them up and just like knock him down. I love. Yeah. I'm a kind of an old school guy, so I like those that style. But to watch you guys go up and work the way that you do and tell stories yeah. and like not just like set up punchlines, set up punchlines, but to watch you guys work is like it's a it's a it's a privilege because oh, like because well, you guys because it's like it's work. You go up there and you tell stories and they're hilarious stories but it's not just what you know your sort of stereotypical perception of stand-up comedy is
0: it's interesting thank you but i like it's so funny but i like i like we just did a documentary about me that is yet to come out that it's been it's been a little bit of a headache for the filmmakers and for myself trying to get people to look at it trying to get a place for it to land and then we were like just fuck it we're just gonna just gonna put it out and, and get on the internet, or well, I, I forget what we're doing right now. It, Louis it, C.K. model, he was pretty revolutionary. Well, when yeah, he but did. That, yeah, but yeah, but you know, you, there's, a, you, it's really hard to make your money back that way. Almost it, impossible. Yeah, and so, <laughs> and so, but we, and we don't have no any money. We have money in it. Uh, it's cost more money than we expected it to cost. Always what does. What is this? Oh, it's for ice. I was like, Always. um, <laughs> it's but, half a uh, straw. But we're just gonna release it at film festivals and. Then all the people that paid for it on Kickstarter give them their copy, and and then just it's like there's a timeline, I guess.
1: Netflix. Yeah, well, they got a good licensing fee from Netflix.
0: Yeah, but uh, but I should probably have the guys talk to you. You've done this before, but I but it's uh, the process of of making a documentary. You think it's going to be easy? It's a fucking nightmare. It is. It is not. You think it's just like it's like doing a podcast. It's like you think it's going to be a lot easier. Like I've tried a million times to do the Bill Burr model, where you just speak into the mic, I sound like a fucking lunatic. <laughs> Inevitably, I turn, I turn onto some subject that is not fair and it's one sided. It's me. I'm like a fucking moron. So I like go back and I, I watch all your docs and I'm like, damn it, like you really do a great job. Are you? What is? So what? Tell me what's in the in the in bo- in the books for you for 2000. 2000- 14, 15.
1: So first things first, the U part two, which I'm guessing is not going to be called the U2 because I'm sure Bono and the Edge would have a problem oh with that. God. So, and, and I realized we had ESPN um, title is a bit above my pay grade. You know, <laughs> oh, of, yeah. what did Alfred say? Alfred says, he's, like, he's like, a relationship with Hollywood. I think it was, it was, it was uh, Hemingway who said, like, you go to the Nevada, California border. You throw your script over. They throw a satchel of money over, and you go your separate yeah. ways, kind of a thing. Um, so we we've done that for a while too, where we've had um, uh, licensed uh, people have licensed the dramatic adaptation rights to our docs. Alfred just really? says he he, he says he wants, he wants to be like the John Grisham or Stephen King of uh, of of documentaries, where they where all of our movies. At least get option, You know for some yeah. For some kind of Dramatic treatment And we've gone along For the ride for a while But now we're getting More creatively involved I think we're gonna We're gonna adapt Cocaine Cowboys ourselves Dramatically Oh that would be
0: Fucking awesome yeah, Which
1: I think is just You know we, we, we've been In the back seat Going along
0: David with The big James boys James Franco as well, so. I wanna see James Franco One of those Ocala rednecks <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh. he, he kind of already did that In Spring Breakers But he Oh did he was St. Petersburg yeah. He was a St. Petersburg You know yeah, white he, dude Who thought he was black Basically riffraff. Raff Yeah he was the, the t- Yeah that's right Yeah Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That was that was he he ripped off his shtick, but he he was pretty. I thought he was pretty brilliant in that. I didn't see it. Spring Breakers, I got to tell you, is probably of the last ten years one of my favorite Florida movies. Really? Yeah, it's just like it just reeks Florida. To me, shit. it's yeah, gotta you, you got to check it, out. I gotta it's, see that. it. It's it's way and a lot of people hate it. You know, it's like it because because it, it's very kind of stream of consciousness. But I think of all these movies that try to like say, oh, it captures this generation, this like social media EDM. Yeah. Who gives a shit generation? I think this movie really, really accomplishes. Really, that. I think Harmony Korine did it like a tremendous job. Uh, w- with it I, and i really i don 't want to talk it up too much because you know low, you know <laughs> you know, 'll be pleasantly Crane's, surprised with low expectations
0: did my one of my f- uh, by the way my favorite pitch that i 've ever heard he did a documentary about uh getting beaten up. did you ever hear about this no i i, 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 I don 't know like he worked he did a, he wrote a book when I was at Barnes and noble and he did a signing and i I hung around him i like kind of just listened and i don 't know if he told it then or if he told it in an article but he did a documentary about violence and trying to find the comedy just like fatty arbuckle in violence so he was trying to make a straight-up comedy movie about getting beaten up so he'd go and he'd bait bouncers and he would get into fights and and film it and film it it would all be filmed and so it was him like just going up and, like slapping the guy. I know uh, hey. you,
1: you noticed. You mentioned Fatty Ar- Arbuckle. I immediately, my eyes immediately went to the glass Heineken bottle over yeah, there. Oh.
0: Nice. <laughs> Too soon? No, <laughs> Too soon? no. <laughs> Nobody
1: bought, knows what we're talking about. By the way, I bought so. the
0: book I Fatty. By said, Gary oh, did, oh, did you? Yeah, I haven't read it. Uh, I neither. But I bought it. So uh,
1: <laughs> that counts yeah. as long as it's on hey, my Kindle.
0: Buy <laughs> my fucking book, everybody. So go to birdbirdbird.com <laughs> and buy my book, Life of the Party. Anyway. And Bert doesn't
1: care if you read it. Just buy it.
0: Shitting it for all I care. <laughs> the. Uh, but, um, and, and he was saying, and someone was saying, and I, I, I can't remember, I, like I said, I'm, my memory is a little sketchy about this, but I remember the fact was, someone was like, oh my god, so he'd go up to a bouncer and like slap him and be like, hey boys, how you guys doing tonight? And then they'd beat the shit out of him, and he'd try to make it comical. And someone said, so how is that going? And he said, well, I highly underestimated how long a fight lasts when one of the participants can't fight. And he's like, they're really quick, and so I have about eight minutes of footage, and I've been up, beat up like ten times. And he's like, <laughs> and they snapped his fucking leg. Like, they put him in the hospital. Like, he got beat the fuck up. Like, if you slap a bouncer in New York, I think it was, I want to say, I, and by the way, I don't know where I'm getting any of this information other than the fact that I have it. So it must have been transpired, like, given to me as I'm out.
1: But, 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 but what is scores, going on in the mind of this scores. man that he
0: would do this repeatedly is the other thing. Like once you've done it once, twice, three times. He was like- trying to do a documentary about getting beaten up. And, 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 and I want to say this is before Jackass. So now you look at it and you go he was on the right <laughs> in, in the right. He was in the pocket. Ahead of his time, this guy. He was ahead of his time. But, uh, but yeah, I've been a big, big fan. So he at the scores. Club. Did something happen specifically he, at scores? Uh, the bouncer put his leg on the curb oh and my God. snapped his oh. shin. Oh, I, and I, by the way, don't oh. know where I'm getting this information. But other than the fact that I have it, and I couldn't have mm. dreamt it. so
1: And I've just been watching that Willis McGahey. Yeah, and you remember Willis's uh, uh injury. That was like one of the worst injuries oh, ever. Yeah, yeah, 2000 yeah. end of the 2002 season was 2003, that Fiesta Bowl, I think is is, is what it was. Motherfucker. That Ohio State game where they got robbed. Oh. Robbed no, at the so, end.
0: So so what what is on the plans? Okay, so you?
1: well the, well first and foremost it's the U sequel. Um, which is really, the sa- like I said, the same arc as the first movie. It's kind of the rise and fall leading up to that 2001 and arguably 2002 national championship, yeah. depending, you know, because at least for five or six or seven seconds, they were in the national championships uh, that year before Ohio State. Uh, and Terry Porter, that flag, that late flag, took it away. Um, and uh, so that's first. Um, we're also, uh, we're working on Two other Cocaine Cowboys documentaries. So it's now it's just kind of we're not we're not putting numbers anymore. We just released Cocaine Cowboys Reloaded, which is on Netflix streaming, which is a wholesale re-edit of the first movie from scratch. Because when we were first making the movie, we had so much footage, and so much of it was was good. And we wound up cutting shit out that was arguably just as good, if not better, than what made the final cut. That's usually – you edit. I'm putting the best shit in. But you also have to tell a story you know, that has yeah. an arc that has a beginning, middle, and end. So like, we had to make some really hard decisions strictly for time, not quality, just for time. So this enabled us to say, fuck it. Let's not worry about running time. We, we completely re-edited the movie and it's a wild experiment but if you like the first one and you, because i know people have seen the first one like 30 40 50 i've seen it a few times yeah. i've
0: bought it on i bought it in hotels a few times are you serious oh yeah God of course. Bless your heart I, I, fucking, <laughs> I love it i love i love the movie because i feel like i don't know i think i, I don't know i like all your stuff because i feel like i grew up with it so like i yeah. feel like it's it it's almost like a little bit of a blanket like I watch it and I go, oh yeah, 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 I remember that. I know when he talks about digging a hole in his backyard to bury money or whatever, I'm like, I know what his backyard. <laughs> like. I know that grass. Yeah. I know that it's not sod. I know, I know what that looks like. So I really get it. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I,
1: well, they're all stories from our childhood so far. You know yeah. they really are. Tanning of America is like the entire pop. Co- I, I when I was thinking about Tanning of America, I was like, well, shit. I grew up this white middle class kid in North Miami Beach. But my my Johnny Carson was Arsenio. My Saturday Night Live was in Living Color. Yeah, I, I grew up listening to Run DMC, and then when Do the Right Thing came out, I was listening to Public Enemy because I was a film buff. So like that Dude, dictated my. When
0: I I can tell you, I I remember uh, two live crew driving down, um, driving I, driving down to school. I was probably a. I want to say like a sophomore or a junior, but I know w- the street I was driving down listening to Which sophomore that, you know, or junior year was that for you? But that's high school. Oh, so, right. Yeah. right. Just, just, well, just one. one. <laughs> just one. And that fucking... I, by, by the time I got to college, it was all yeah. about OutKast. I was right. fucking obsessed with OutKast and they were Swab huge, House. Dude. And I, my buddy Miles is my... Re- well, all, all our... F- Miles Mosley. Th- this is an interesting story. Miles Mosley is one of, m- one of my best friends. Um... I, I, I say that weirdly because I'm, I don't talk to him a lot. I'm having an issue with how I d- handle friends because I don't really talk to anybody anymore. I feel like I don't talk to anybody. I sit in a hotel room. My phone has like 20 messages, and I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't respond to anyone.
1: I know. I was trying to find you today. Oh, I, was I was alligator wrestling just to kill time.
0: Nightmare. I'm a yeah. Nightmare.
1: I, I, did, I went with the witch doctor And we blessed the Anna Nicole Smith suite And everything They have to do that twice a
0: week Oh yeah They, they get rid of the demons oh, it's Out of six there Six o'clock and... Are you fucking kidding me Oh I, you had oh, to work I, dude For real I know I just, <laughs> It's a matter of time To start drinking Is there an early now. show Yeah two shows oh. Fuck, I think eight and, Please tell me it's not at seven
1: No they can't be Not on a fr- What is it Friday night Yeah it's gotta Although be Although who eight, the hell knows It's gotta
0: be eight and ten
1: I don't know You never know you never know what the the Indians. It's tough because, like, you know, they say like the, the house always wins in a casino. Yeah. But I feel like the Indian casinos, it's the one. They're the, they're the one casinos where the house never wins because, like, no matter how much money you lose here, we still rape their women and stole their country. Yeah. So, like, the it's, least you could do is drop some change at the you know, the one armed bandit. Call it reparations. I mean, whatever you want. I
0: got in so much trouble the, my first time here. Uh, I'm not sharing that story. I, oh I, my god,
1: really? You're gonna tease that? No, you're, no, no, well, Have okay, a
0: drink, dude. Fuck it. I. Uh, there was a group of black chicks on the side that I was having a lot of fun with and then a group of Puerto Rican chicks on the other side of the stage. I was fucking around with both of them and I was having a blast. And, uh, and I said, I said, let me, let me buy you ladies a shot. And We were having so much fun I can't even tell you. And, I, and that's what I love about this club is that I really feel like you get that opportunity. And so, um, and so I buy them shots and then some girl in the back goes, what about me? And I go, I go, "What about you?" She goes, "How come you don't buy me a shot?" She's hammered. And I go, "Okay." She goes, "Just black and Puerto Rican girls, that's it. That's all you buy." I go, "What are you?" She goes, "I'm a Seminole Indian. Buy me a shot." And I said, "All right, someone get her a tuberculosis shot." And the <laughs> fucking place loses it. Okay? And and I forget I forget I forget that I'm in a fucking Seminole casino scalps dude, and and they and <laughs> and and she gets mad and starts booing me, oh. and then the black chick goes kick her out, oh. and I go I, I can't kick her out. Like she I go, owns this whole everything. She's and she's like someone, and, and the and the Puerto Rican chick on the other side's like kick her out, and I go Have you ladies not read your history book? Just go take her seat. Oh, and the fucking place <laughs> goes nuts again. <laughs> And by the way, I, like I don't, I feel bad because I don't even take those chances anymore. But this is like way before Travel Channel, way before any of that, and fucking. And then I get done, and she's waiting for me, and she wasn't that as mad. She was actually okay, but like she was with a group of Native Americans that were all Seminoles, and Seminoles get paid like one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars a year if you're full Seminole. You get paid one hundred. Your casino plus? money, yeah, yeah. You get your you get, casino, get casino money. money, yeah. And so they were. God rich. bless them. They're rich. They're all rich as fuck. There's a reason why they're unconquered. Yeah, the Seminoles. <laughs> I, I wanted to say I went to Florida State. Like we're, you know, <laughs> didn't, didn't fucking <laughs> go Redskins. Didn't, didn't oh go, no. Yeah, what's going on with that? It's over. It's a. I don't know. They're gonna. Ch- I, I. I don't know
1: what the hell they're gonna do. I mean, they're gonna have to change. I, I think they're gonna have to change the name. I think they're gonna have oh, to yeah. do it.
0: I wrote. I tweeted something trying to make light of it. And I, but I wasn't meaning it the way I, I, I tweeted it. Uh-huh. That's why Twitter's so fucking dangerous. Yeah. I tweeted change it to the Rednecks and I'll buy that jersey. Like like it would be funny because you're not gonna offend rednecks. No. That was the end of
1: your career with Affleck.
0: And well they fucking <laughs> uh, well what had happened was what no one that is liberal, which is where you get fired, is when you piss off the liberal yes, true, side. Actually, yeah. uh, no one that's liberal politically finds correct people, to that. yeah. Right. It's it's but what happened was it was the people that are uh, in support of them not changing the name at all and misconstrued the joke and thought that I was saying that I think that the people that like Redskins are ignorant and call them Red... N- like and, and so they got upset, and I was like, no, I was just trying to make a stupid fucking joke. Yeah. They know and you're a like, comic, right? Like, I don't understand... Yeah
1: i don't understand that there's somewhere it's not like the, the just the death of irony uh, r i p bro like in this country, especially on twitter it's like you can't take anything that anybody says in one hundred and forty characters or less that fucking seriously like oh. i I write tweets all the time and then don't post them oh I have some of bunch, my funniest I have a bunch shit listed right now in your drafts in your in drafts, drafts folder that, I, that can, I just oh by the way, how scary is this is the is, is the Post all button in the bottom corner of yeah, the drafts the folder. Who
0: the fuck would need that ever? That's like the share button on YouPorn. Yeah, who it's need- like, I don't want to share that? this on Facebook. Yes, yeah, i to need- jerking off. You to.
1: want to post all of your drafts in one fell through? Like, who would need that? Like, Twitter needs to just, for all the drunk tweeters out there, needs to get Delete rid of that all. function. Delete Yes, all. that's fine. But not – just post all of your drafts. Could you – that would be just – by the way, I would just put my phone in the toilet and hang myself. I would just – that would just be the end of life. I'm going to
0: go through and delete mine right now. Dude, do it. Delete all. Don't don't post all. I have (laughs) one. Oh, my phone's almost dead. Plug it in, dude.
1: You're in your hotel room. Plug it in. I'm
0: a fucking – but I just –
1: I I post – this is what I I wrote. I write it on my Twitter and I'll, like, ask my my, my buddy, like, we're sitting there in the editing room. I'll post it and I'll, like, kind of turn my laptop around and I'll like point to it and he'll read it and he'll just shake his head like no don't do
0: it. It's I, funny but
1: don't do it. Like
0: I fought with a tweet the other day cuz I couldn't get it down to <laughs> and 140. And tweet one. And it was the jo- the joke was uh we went we went swimming out in on my wife's lake in Alabama. Uh and we went swimming pretty far out and I didn't wear a life preserver and I got scared so I was like motherfucker I'm getting tired. Like and then I was like I'm not as good a swimmer as I thought. So the joke was Swimming is a lot like sex, or no, sex is a lot like swimming. You think you're good at it and competent because you were good when you were young, and then one day you try it and you get way in over your head. And you realize <laughs> I might die today, and but I couldn't get it down to the fucking yeah. 140 and I was so fucking pissed. That takes
1: a bit more of a journey, yeah. It's a little really bit of it. a journey, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I like so, but here's the thing like, I, I could give a shit about soccer or football or whatever the hell. I, yeah. I'm sorry, I uh, 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 soccer or as they call it Football or as I call it Screensaver yeah. So like So like This is not a sport I'm sorry I know it's the most popular Sport in the world yeah. But it's not a sport I'm sorry It's cardio with a ball I mean yeah. that's, that's it It's gro- Like they're in the they're Like these athletes Are in such amazing shape I'm like Yeah they run around Not scoring for two hours Like you'd be the You'd be in the best shape Of your life too Yeah they running really around are. In, they Running really around are in Haiti For two hours Okay I get it But like But like so, so
0: No one's got plantar fasciitis In soccer <laughs> Like that's <laughs> all that Fucking <laughs> I cannot. I can't watch soccer because I think, "What are your feet killing you?" I, I, they they hurt me when I watch when Dude. I watch soccer. I
1: was, okay. All all that running around without scoring, it's exhausting. It yeah. really is. But so I so like I but I do a couple like one that I, I'd like. Uh, I had every once in a while I had to tweet just so they know I don't give a shit. I tweeted about soccer like twice. I tweet about soccer twice a week during the World Cup because yeah. nothing says I don't give a shit than just tweeting about soccer twice a week. Yeah, because everybody else is like every. Every tweet is about World Cup. So yeah. I'm like, I tweet what I tweet. It's like, dangerous World Cup drinking game. Every time someone tweets about Colombia but spells it Colombia with a U, do a shot of Aguardiente. <laughs> like, that was yeah. – pa- but, like, it's lame. Like, that's – the other day during the, during the Brazil-Germany game. Yeah. So I write this tweet, and I was like, um, whatever happens, uh, the favelas will get uh, Brazil World Cup champion T-shirts. Okay, oh, that's and like so that's fucking, like the that's Haiti good. joke, you know, like so, so like that was okay. But then I wrote the second one because they were like they were down that's, a touchdown. Was, by the okay. way, they they were down an entire touchdown. But in soccer, it was like seven zero. And I tweet, I tweet, uh, Oscar Schindler couldn't even save these people from the Germans. Oh, okay. and so I turned it around and showed my buddy Dave. And And he chuckled and then sh- and then shook his head a he's solemn like, a solemn no, so I delete it, and I tweet, well, one thing 's for sure lebron 's not going to Brazil. that got like eight thousand retweets, like, uh, but it was so late, but I felt late I felt dirty my, doing it, like I, I combined LeBron and World Cup in one tweet that was such uh. I,
0: I cannot hear the word schindler 's list without sharing my favorite joke, and i can 't remember whose joke it is, although I know I follow him on Twitter, and I know we 've talked, and he 's just a British comic and I've always been like if you ever come to America please do my podcast my favorite Schindler's List joke is uh, and I'm going to do it with your accent but god I wish I remembered your fucking name everyone's going to tweet me the guy's name and I'll retweet it Um, I I saw Schindler's List the other night I walked in late what did the Jews do to Hitler
1: (laughs) I walked in late what
0: did the Jews do to Hitler I mean he was mad (laughs) <laughs> oh, I love that joke. I maybe me laugh. There's another one. There's another one, and I, I want to say this one's Ed Why have you collected
1: Schindler's List jokes? Why no, is this like a fetish favorite. of yours? No, no, that that's a... my – it's
0: British jokes. British joke writers are really – British comics are they're really They're brilliant funny. and brutal. They're, they're but, brutal. Um,
1: I wish we could get away with what British comics get away with. Oh, no. The
0: they're, it's it's a very different medium. <laughs> uh, like, I, I love – look, I'm telling you the good ones. There's a lot of really bad ones. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> There's there's a lot of of bad Schindler's List jokes. There's a lot of no, I'm sure there is. You mean mean British comics? British comics. Uh, Then one of my other favorite uh, British jokes is I want to say Ed Burns had this joke, um, and it's uh, I was I'm not going to do his accent because it's Irish, but he's like I was watching uh, Back to the Future the other day. Don't you think at some point George McFly would look at his wife and go, "Are you sure you didn't fuck that Calvin Klein kid? Because our kid looks just like him." (laughs)
1: Now, now, now I want to try to do that in the Irish lilt. That I was, you know Are
0: you sure? Oh, I, how are you? I don't have accent Alright, we should wrap this up I have to go fucking eat a sandwich I'm still hungover from this morning Doing Paul and Young Ron I drank way you, too much You
1: did Paul and Young Ron this morning?
0: Yeah, I'm. I, it was a nightmare I, I rolled in and I was very hungover from last night Because we didn't get some ki- oh, It was a fucking long story <laughs> Everything is a fucking long story these days. Uh, you know what isn't a long story? Hey, Bert, take a week off from drinking. That's happening next week. I go hey, home hey, and, I'm, and I'm I'm on the wagon. The second I get back to L.A. and I'm, I'm not drinking for like oh, two weeks. Do
1: you count down the days, or are you cool? Or are you thrilled about that?
0: I'm thrilled about it because well, what happens here is it's like it's like you go into a show and it's like it's really hard not to drink because yeah. everyone's sending shots to the stage, and so then you have a couple shots, and then after you have a couple shots, you have a couple more, and then you end up. It, in your fucking hotel room with all these uh, open beer cans with fucking fultron and and my host and dude there's not even two of the same beer it's the mini bar it's oh yeah it's the mini bar we emptied out the mini bar last night oh man so and then we're trying to do a podcast but we're just i mean it it <laughs> it, it turns into a fucking nightmare and so then I get up early for press and so and all i'm thinking about is a roast beef sandwich so Let's that's wrap, that's let's wrap it think? up. We'll Speaking walk, of that, and Nicole Smith. Yeah, is that what she died? I don't know. No. no, that was <laughs> um, what. Where can everyone? Everyone can find everything at cocainecowboys. dot com. dot com. Yes, sir. Cocaine. C O C A I N E. I A N. I'm dyslexic. We found out. Um, yes.
1: You, you, you know what the average FSU student gets on
0: their SATs? No. Drool. <laughs> uh, well, oh, I'm trying to think of a joke about Miami. How, how, do, now.
1: how do you get the FSU graduate off your front porch? Pay him for the pizza.
0: Oh, shit. <laughs> Give me more.
1: A uh, An FSU uh, quarterback, uh, wide receiver, and running back uh, are in a car. Who's driving? Oh, wait. Say it again. Say it again. FSU quarterback, wide receiver, and running back are in, are in a car.
0: Who's driving? The cop. <laughs> 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 what do you I'm trying now I'm, by the way, now I'm going to truly truly taste those joke books and, yeah, about, and incorporating Miami football players. That's yeah. all
1: I'm doing really. I'm, I'm doing gators jokes, you know like how, yeah. you know how, how, how many uh, how many FSU uh, freshmen does it take to screw in a light bulb? Uh, no, that's a sophomore class at FSU so <laughs> no,
0: <that's>, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I appreciate you doing this, Billy. Thank you. very time. Thank you. Uh, I love you.